This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 218, flashback to X-Men Operation Zero Tolerance. Chapman, the host of Comic Shenanigans, and this will be episode 218, the flashback to X-Men Operation Zero Tolerance. I'm going to be joined on this episode by two special guests, Paul Scores and Nathan Strzok, as we uh, deconstruct the Operation Zero Tolerance storyline from 1997. Um, so we'll jump into the episode in just a moment. If you have any uh, comments you want to send to Comic Shenanigans, you can send them to comicshenanigans at gmail.com. You can like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also post in our HGROMs thread as well. Um, and uh, yeah, and that's the only way. If you do uh, rate and review us, let us know so I will read your uh, rating and review on the air. Uh, so thank you for joining into this episode, and uh, yeah, let's jump jump right into it. So we're, uh, we're, we're talking about Operation Zero Tolerance here today, which came out in 1997. I'm joined by Paul Scores and Nathan Strzok. Nathan Strzok making his first appearance on the show in quite some time. I think the last time you were on the show, Nate, was back in August. Do you, okay. Do you even remember what that was? No. Uh, no. That was... A... <laughs> um, Heroclix, right? It was Heroclix, absolutely. It was episode 194, Talking Heroclix, and uh, the episode we're doing right now is 218. So it's been a long time. Well, I mean, your show just goes like crazy. Right? It, just, it continues on with even without me. And uh, I view it as like a child that you see every once in a while. And you will always view that child as, as young, even though they're 17. And you, you, you know, look at them. And so I remember when you, when you were this high and they stare at you blankly and go, I, I have no connection to you. So the show continues on without me. I still think of it as a young show. So you're the nephew that we never see, is what you're saying? Uh, you know, I hated that. You always had these. Uh, they always spoke to you as though you were stuck in a time warp, and you're just like, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> don't speak to me about how young I used to be. I guess that's that's true. Or place Nate right by the mic there. Well, he's pretty close. Um, and then Paul hasn't been on the epi- on the show. He's uh, it's been twelve hundred, right? Two two oh six was your last one. That was six. That was the road did you, episode. Did you retcon two hundred? Oh, no. after that, okay, okay. We we did an episode on the road with uh, with uh, Richard and uh, Paul and I uh, doing a road trip, and we had a random discussion about uh, comic book movies, which was I have actually knew nothing. We, it was a very <laughs> difficult conversation to have because Richard apparently knows nothing about movies in general and comic book movies specifically. Right. It was very difficult. And we speak very highly of the first Iron Man though, which which gave him points. Yes. So it's, it's great to have you guys both back uh, on the show. So we're talking about Operation Zero Tolerance. Uh, Nate, let's start with you. Were you reading the X-Men books in 1997? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I was um, re- very much reading uh, Uncanny as my primary, one of my primary books, mostly due to Joe Madreira's uh, Madreira, Joe Madreira's uh, art. And, um, and I picked up X-Men as well because uh, uh, Carlos Pacheco was drawing for for that book and i and i loved his art and that you know i so I, I got both books i wasn't reading cable or gen x or x-force or any of the other stuff most people weren't I think yeah. that, <laughs> to be reason. fair i mean i think there was a fan base for them but it wasn't that large so that's why you crossed them over to introduce people into it and give mm-hmm. a shot right absolutely uh paul what about you were you still reading the books in 1997 you would have been what 
How old? 18? Yeah, well, this is still early Paul reading Marvel Comics, right? So, um, my my collecting habits were very sporadic. Nothing consistent at the time, really. I was, was just fresh off of Onslaught and trying to grab anything that had the banner on it. Um, same thing with getting Spider-Man Clone Saga stuff. Um, and then I, I noticed the Zero Tolerance thing kind of started out of nowhere. So I just started grabbing that stuff that um, had the banner on it. And I guess it was pretty much shortly after Zero Tolerance is when I finally got a consistent place where you could, you know, have a guy give him a list, there's the books I want, and start having it come in consistently so I wouldn't be missing stuff all over the place kind of thing, right? At the same time, even back then, like, with the lack of it being online or uh, even in the print comics, having checklists to tell you where to go next, what to buy next, was very challenging. Um, so... I'm looking through the, the collection that I, I purchased digitally, and there's tons of stuff on here I hadn't even known about as part of this story. So it's interesting to kind of look back at it now and, and kind of see the whole thing. Of course, like any crossover, lots of in here doesn't quite matter, but it's nice yeah. to see all the pieces nonetheless. Absolutely. Uh, myself, I was uh, you know uh, probably a year and a bit into really hardcore collecting the X-Men like Nate, I was pretty much I was really a devout uh, follower of Uncanny X Men. I was also picking up X Men as well, just the kind of the two core X books. Uh, there was a lot of other X books, but I wasn't really following them. Um, a couple of years later, I would pick up some. I would start to pick up some of these subsidiary books like Cable, etc. And I kind of had an idea of what was going on, especially in Wolverine, because I think that was the only one that felt like it mattered a bit more because of where X-Men 70 was but um, other than that like it was really for a long time Operation Zero Tolerance I had very fond memories of it but it was really just you know that, that storyline in X-Men and like that one issue of Uncanny and that was it uh, and then years later I finally had a chance to kind of go back and read all of it and was I happy that I read all of it? Maybe not um, some of it is very forgettable uh, it's very of the time it's very 1997 and again, that's either good or bad, depending on what your take is on that period. Um, I'm glad I have a hardcover collecting the entire event so that if I do ever want to read it, which I don't do often, I can read through all of it. And now I have it digitally as well, so it's nice to have. But uh, I, I think fondly on it, but mainly I'm thinking of the X-Men tie-ins, uh, the X-Men book itself, the adjective list, because the rest is a little bit of a nightmare. So why are we talking about it? Because uh, it's, it's still one of those storylines, like... I, I, because it was so early on for me, I have I still I love the original, the X Men issues of Operation Zero Tolerance. I think they're still quite strong. I think the idea of the storyline is still a very good one. Um, some of the plot elements were kind of used late, years later in DC's Infinite Crisis, uh, in terms of the having these regular human beings who don't realize that they're they've been turned into these you know special Sentinels. Uh, the fact that they kind of revolutionized the Sentinels being the kind of the next gen phase of the Sentinels was cool. There's a lot of elements here that are cool. I think part of the problem with the storyline is that it promises, like most storylines, to really shake things up and really change things. And I think this one was one of the few storylines where I really believed it was going to do it. Uh, maybe it's because I was naive and I was younger. Maybe not. But it had all the elements of this is actually going to change the face of the X-Books. And at the end, all it really does is leave the X-Men in an empty house with no technology. But that's about it. Does it lead into that whole on you all different with Cerebro and stuff, though? Uh, a little bit later. It's like 10 oh, issues. The, the Hunt for Xavier, you mean? That's like 10 to 12 issues later. So oh, this is the Trial of Gambit's after this, right, isn't it? The Trial of Gambit happens 
kind of in the middle of when Operation Zero Tolerance is happening. In fact, X-Men 70, which caps off the Operation Zero Tolerance storyline, is right after the trial of Gambit concludes in Uncanny X-Men 350. Because at the time, the way that the numbering worked out at this point, um, 350 and 70 were at the same same month. Right. So, But it's interesting, too, because Uncanny, which is, is the flagship X book, only has one tie-in to Operation Zero Tolerance, which is kind of a, a weird quirk. You'd think that this big line-wide X crossover, which uh, you don't need to read all the X books to understand it, but you would think that they, they would want the main book to, to have more to do with it. Instead, it only has one brief tie-in, which really has no connection to anything else. Like you speak Joe Mad Spider-Man. You do have... Well, Guyrick's in it, I don't know. <laughs> Guyrick's in it, yeah. But, I mean, in terms of where the overall storyline was going, it doesn't really add much except for, I guess, make Mero extra pissed off. <laughs> I don't know. I find that the strongest part of the entire issue is J. Jonah Jameson and establishing him as actually quite a quite a heroic character. And hopefully, we'll, you know, we'll get to that, I guess, as we get into it. But um, speaking uh, uh, to the idea of how this changed the Xbox, I don't know. I uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I always felt I got the impression after the storyline that it did impact the X Men. I always felt like there was, that this was the thing that changed the X Men books in a way more than Onslaught. I feel like Onslaught definitely changed the Marvel Universe as a whole but to me the x-books after this went from the x-men with matching colors and the two teams system and uh playing baseball games together and having dinner together and being able to do all those things and you really only see them parties yeah yeah and you really even after onslaught you still even see them having a dinner and you still see them together in the mansion to more scattered um less centralized less cohesive um and, and, and it was more dire. Well, because Bendis made the Avengers have the dinners and lunches. It, it transitioned <laughs> over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe. But, I mean, Adam said that, you know, this cleaned the house out of technology. But I feel like that was a, more of a, of a physical representation of what was going on. Like, I felt like the, the X-Men had been gutted. And, and there was a lot to return to. Uh, there was like a journey almost, like an arc. Like, the, like returning the, even the mansion to what the mansion used to be, a school. Like, it wasn't a school for years after this. No. Returning to that was kind of an arc in of itself for the team, and I know it didn't really have direction, and you had a lot of different writers coming on board, um, but and, and and pulling them like laffy taffy in different directions. But laffy I always felt the X Men were never the same after this. Well, the team, this story also deals with a very small portion of the team. You get like Psych, Gene, Wolverine, Storm, Storm. and Cannonball, really. Well, as a major player. At the time, that was the squad in the main X Men book because you had the other squad was up in space, right? Like to just to to go yeah. back to where this was, and then it's interesting because that squad you just mentioned is only really featured in X Men sixty five, which is kind of the beginning of Operation Zero Tolerance, and then they spin off into Wolverine. So then the only characters you have in X Men are what Cecilia Ray's and Iceman, Iceman and Marrow, like the, and Sabra. Like, that's basically your X-Men team. So it's kind of, a, again, a weird storyline because the team that you kind of follow for the main, again, the the most popular book of the, all the books that were tying in would have been X-Men. And the team you see is not a team that's represented really anywhere else ever. Like, it's this weird ragtag group. And speaking to your point, Nate, about where the X-Men go afterwards, I think it's less... I, I agree that the books afterwards felt like they did change the way that the X-Men had been handled as a group up until that point, but I don't necessarily think that the event itself helped promote that. Like, the fact that they went through this, 
you know, this hunting, which ended up being not so bad, and losing their technology, but not much else, I feel like the characters themselves seem to go relatively unscathed through Operation Zero Tolerance, but then the writers afterwards were kind of making some interesting decisions about sending, you know, Gene and the Cyclops away from the team, kind of, and, and focusing on these new younger members, and maybe that's where that kind of fragmented look on the X-Men came from, but I don't think that's really because of the storyline itself. I think it's just the writers wanted to do something different. Well, I mean, the idea that Xavier is gone, and the idea that the technology, it's not, it's not just the technology, the house becomes a complete shell, right? Like, there's no school there. So it does take the school out of the picture. So but I had it really like been it... a school for that, like, because the only real school that existed at this point wasn't really the Xavier Institute for Higher Learning. It was more but... the Massachusetts Academy. Which... But not even, but not even the school itself. Like it's like the X Men stopped living there. Mm. You know what I mean? It, it, it's like the, their entire centralized um, place of operations was gone. Right? There wasn't like the same kind of idea of like we have the hangar bay for the Blackbird and the training room, and we have our dorms. It was none of it. Like for a while, it was like Storm would sleep up near the in the attic sometimes, and a lot of the X Men were just just weren't. I mean, they, they did play in the, they did have some sequences in the mansion, but again, a lot, a lot of it just kind of. It didn't. It just. I don't know. Again, I it, maybe not the storyline per se, but the idea of completely gutting that home and taking away Xavier, I feel really just changed the focus of the book for, for a long time. And, and and you know, during the shattering, they're still in the mansion. Uh, they're still there, but it, it, nothing feels the same. And and it doesn't. Nothing feels the same. I guess because I'm I'm so used to having grown up with the TV show, mm. where they were very much central in the home, and they would have Thanksgiving dinner together, and people stayed in their rooms. And then when I first started collecting X Men books, it was still very much the case. That when I first started, yeah. uh, just after Age of Apocalypse, they were still having baseball games, and they would still do all those things. And as I started going, well, I like comics. I'm going to buy the older ones. And I go back to the early '90s and the '80s, you know. And 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 Rogue is in her room when the Reavers attack, and all this stuff. This whole this whole thing of the X Men being a family in this home, that being gone, or them being jettisoned from that home i just felt made a very different tonal change to the x-books and you're right it could have been anything it could have been forget the government it could have been the shiar came back and took their technology right and then stole xavier anything could have done it but i just feel like this story did happen to be the one that did it and so again i'm i started this by saying i could very much be wrong about it but as a teenager i always felt the tone of the x-men books were darker and more they were more nomadic they were like estranged from their own mansion for for years and years and years now do you think that the ramifications were enough like do you think like if this was a storyline that was done in the modern day do you think it would it would be better like if 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 this was a a modern like if this storyline hadn't really occurred and they did it now do you think it'd be better or worse for it um, do you mean like politically in in America kind of thing, like the um, culture landscape of America? Well, just I mean the the way that com- I would say the way that comics are written has changed. Um, the way that they try to change the way events hit teams, the severity of events, and like I think there's less of a, a sacred cow in certain in, ter- in terms of what they will do, are willing to do to the X Men these days. Like for years, like they they moved away from New York completely. They were living in Utopia, like. There's not that scent like they don't need to be in New York anymore. That being said, they are right now with the Jean Grey School, but I mean it's not even the Xavier School anymore. It's the Jean Grey School. Like right. I feel like there's nowadays there's they're more likely to kind of upset the apple cart and really do something different as opposed to I feel like at the time maybe if the modern sensibility had existed then 
maybe they would have been able to be more drastic and may, make it more of a, a drastic shift because they were still in the house. It was an empty house, but it, you know what I mean? Like, it almost feels like if they did it now, maybe they'd be on the run. Like, maybe they should be on the run after the storyline. You have this whole storyline about the government really going up against them. Shouldn't they be more nomadic? Shouldn't they be taking off? Like, it feels like just something more should have been here. Paul, you haven't said anything in a while. That happens a lot. Um, but who had the bigger agenda? Was it because Bastion had the agenda, or was he being, you know, you know, was the government egging him on and making him do this, right? Or was it just his own agenda? Well, that's a good question. It's a little bit of both, right? Because obviously Bastion has his own agenda, but he can't go that far without support from the government. Without, you know, like, there was support from, like, Robert Kelly. Now, eventually he went too far, and that's why they pulled him, right? They pulled back on their on their support, but... There was support, and especially after Onslaught, you know, all the world saw was that this mutant went haywire, all the heroes sacrificed themselves, the X-Men seemed to help destroy them. Like, remember, reading yeah. Onslaught uh, Marvel Universe, that's what it looks like. And so there, the, the idea is that the general tide would be against mutants more than ever. They've lost the Avengers. They've lost the Fantastic Four. Their greatest heroes yeah. are gone. And they so, also make the point several times that Graydon Creed was assassinated by mutants, and there's the legacy virus, and so there's a number of things that are stirring up anti-mutant sentiment, but it's it's a little unclear um, as to who is pushing who at this at whom at this point, because, um, you know, at one point, uh, Jonah Jameson's calling out and reaming out a senator and saying, how can you back this? Like, the people are trying to find out why the senator's have voted the way they have in Congress. And, uh, you know, what is the political agenda here? And there's not... They touch on certain things about the government and why things are happening, but they don't do it to the detail that I would find satisfying. Uh, they also mention this is an international coalition of, of, of governments that have passed these laws. Uh, you only really see this in, in the States and maybe a little bit with Sabra, but um, for the most part, it's it seems like they're trying to vilify Bastion, right? This... this Master mold Nimrod baby. Um, Although at, spawn, at, the, at right? the time it wasn't really known exactly what he was yet. No, but they establish over and over again that he's a thi- thing, right? He says I'm a man, but all the narrative boxes, and I was chuckling to myself as I was rereading it today, talk about him as a creation. Mm. And normally, and not normally, they never speak about human beings as a creation. <laughs> I don't know. I, I do all the time. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, oh, Paul, my friend, this creation is coming over, right? <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know. This is the idea that you ask, would, would Bastion have worked? I, I don't know, really know exactly what you mean by that. I mean, this concept, like certainly not the storytelling and certainly not just the way this is done throughout the books with no real central, pivotal driving plot. It's just kind of a premise. It's mostly a premise and then a bunch of writers said, okay, with this premise, how would this affect my book? I don't think it would work. Uh, in terms of the content, uh, the idea of a very right-wing movement, you know, neo-fascist kind of movement, uh, I feel like this would probably have been more topical in the years following 9-11, like a 2005 book. Yeah. It would be very appropriate to say, look, we don't trust these people who have been living among us. They're American citizens. We know that they can, you know, there can be those of those members of this community that can be extremists, and so we're going to pass a law to take away their freedoms. Yeah, the Patriot Act. Like, that would be more topical. I don't really know where this is coming from from 97. Um, in terms of, like, the Clinton administration, I don't really see where this is where this is coming from this time. I, I don't I don't really know why they did it this way, but um, well, wasn't it just I guess... High, you saw in the 90s, the biggest thing was always, you know, mutants, the, the classic cliche of the mutants being feared and hated, 
and the Sentinels finally be taking that next step, becoming these the Borg, essentially these biological, you know, new Sentinels. To, that's the next evolution of them to hunt down and finally eradicate the mutant menace. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just like '97, you know, leading up to '98. Uh, I'm just trying to think of what was going on in the world leading up to NATO's, um, you know, stepping in to uh, assist in Kosovo. So, um, you, you know, in other eras, like when, when Captain America, uh, Marvel Knights was released, you know, John Cassidy and... and um, Niver? Yeah, Nye Reber or whatever his name is. Yeah. Reber? Reber? Something um, like that. Extra, extremely topical, right? They, they launched that book at a time that was to address that those issues of the time and... Um, you know, certain books flow, even um, uh, God Loves Man Kills, mm. uh, you know, written in a very good time in the Cold War, um, you know, the, the very topical books. I just I just don't know what it was that made them create this story at this time. It could have just been a good story to follow up with Onslaught. I'm not really sure. And, and Paul points out that this is just kind of a culmination of all of the Sentinel stories they had done through the 90s and 80s. And that's a good point. I mean... For the longest time, people had been, you know, really into sensible technology and, and Nimrod coming back from the future um, in the in the I guess we'll call retcon of Days of Future Past and him disappearing into the Siege Perilous and really, I mean, everyone else was accounted for, weren't they? After they fell into the Siege Perilous, yeah, like Rogue was accounted for and Psylocke and the rest of the X Men who appear in the Outback. So it was really the Nimrod. That we, you know, that had been uh, merging with Mastermold that we didn't hear about. So, do you think this is also kind of an editorial move? Perhaps. I, I actually, I'm thinking about it now. Maybe part of what this is is that, you know, you have Onslaught, which started as an X Men storyline, became a Marvel Universe storyline, and it obviously had very dire ramifications for everyone else because it shuffled off the biggest heroes of the Marvel Universe into another reality. But if you actually look at it, what were the there weren't any like there was some ramifications for the X Men, but maybe not enough. I mean, considering that this is something that spilled over from their own kind of business, what did they really lose? The mansion was repaired; it was fine. Um, they lost. It was Xavier. They lost Xavier, and that was about it. So maybe this was kind of a, a late move to kind of say, "All right, well they've lost Xavier. Well, maybe they need to lose more." Um, maybe they didn't lose which, enough. Which they don't, right? They, I mean, they lose their mansion effectively, but they don't really lose it anymore. No, but they they lose their, I guess, their technological advantage. That you know, they they have this space technology, they have this Shi'ar technology. Like it brings them down to a more Earth level that they have to kind of scrape by with whatever they've got. Which again, I guess, makes it a little bit more interesting that they can't just oh, I've got this space age technology. No, you've got to fend for yourself. You've got to figure things out. Kind of like when they were originally out in the outback. They didn't. They had teleportation, but to get out of the outback and go other places, but they didn't have much else. Yeah. I, um. Okay. So you think this is, this is an attempt to kind of bring them more back to a a ground zero? A, 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 yeah, a depowered state, a more threatening or threatened state, a place where we can feel more anxious for them. Yeah, the, the, stakes had to, the stakes had to feel more real, I guess. And the fact that they had their mansion and they had all this technology, maybe it was just harder to, to make it seem like things were a threat because they had all this stuff at their disposal. So this if is a t- constant thing with the X-Men. This is, Absolutely. You know, there, are, there are too many mutants, so you know um, we, we're going to kill them all in Genosha with giant sentinels. That's not enough, so we've got to get rid of all the mutants through Wanda's magical abilities. Right? Then we have like, to blow time, some up at the mansion. 
Yeah, because we were constantly trying to return them to this state of disempowerment, of, of, of fearful, being fearful for their survival. And so and you have the 198, and then you have Utopia. And but then have... every time they do that, so they do that and they make it more dangerous, but then they also give you Elixir. So now you have a character who can heal everyone anyway. <laughs> like, and, and, the, and I guess Angel for a while when he had his healing powers as well, like he had healing blood. So suddenly, like, you, you take away a little bit of that, that drasticness and that more realistic idea because suddenly... It's more dangerous. There's less of them. They could die. But you have a guy who heals them all. Like, really? Yeah, or or you create a mutant messiah in hope. Yeah. So I guess it's just the, this is just part of the cycle. Yeah, I, I, I suppose. I guess this is the, like, you know, as you, we mentioned before with the Outback was the last time they were kind of at that low end where they weren't really on top of their game. This that was, was I guess, really, that was brutal. Like having Wolverine, first of all, almost being killed by the Reavers and, and crucified on a big cross. And uh, the X-Men, you know, having being dead to the world and being trying to travel around the world and not be discovered, rediscovered by their enemies because they're fearful for what might happen. Like that was pretty that was pretty dark stuff in the 80s. They were doing there. That for, was cool. For the time of the Xbox. Absolutely. It's really it's ripped them out of their comfort level. So if you look at the 80s X-Men, they went through Mutant Massacre. Then they went through uh, Fall of the Mutants, which took them out of their comfort zone. Then they had Inferno. It was a shit after shit. Yeah, but Inferno was like whatever. It's just like mailboxes eating people in New York. That wasn't as bad, I think, for the X-Men's... Not for the X-Men, I guess, but it was pretty bad. I mean, you had the betrayal of Madeline Pryor. Like, there was a lot of shit that went down. I don't know. They had some spats with Longshot and Rogue and and, and, and Havoc, but like... Whatever, like that wasn't as as big to, of a deal to me as uh, Mutant Massacre. Certainly, like that was emotional. Why are we okay? Let's let's <laughs> we're going way big here, aren't we? We are. I, I guess tangent twenty five minute tangent. That's fine. <laughs> well, tangential X Men. I mean, that's pretty inevitable. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I mean, it all it all connects. But I guess okay. Let's talk about Operation Zero Tolerance then. Uh, there is a bunch of different books that tied in. Let's. Which book do you want to start with? Well, we could start with Generation X, but I don't really want to. <laughs> no, we should we should do we should get it out of the way. Okay. So in our collect, <laughs> Nate's, <laughs> Nate's Nate's really on board with this. Well, I, I okay. You know, the first issue that they have where where they're introducing at least in the trade, um, the Gen X a uh, book is drawn by Joe Bennett, who you know not necessarily the greatest storyteller, but Great artist, I really though. enjoy him. Yeah, what? I love his art. I really enjoy him. I loved him on Spider-Man. So this is Generation X number 26 from April 97. The cover is The Power of the Fury, Jubilee Unleashed. Yeah, so I mean, I I can tolerate this a lot more because of Joe's art. Once Pacheco comes comes back in, I can't read him. No? No, I can't do it. He's, He's got a cool, crowded, clustered art style. Um, reminds me almost of reading like ish, uh, panels of the Yellow Kid, where he's you know the artist is trying to put as many characters and as many uh, pieces of text as they can all at once. But he, he I, I don't, I don't like him. And in this era, he seems really rushed. True. Uh, now Bennett's stuff in this issue, as you said, he's not the greatest storyteller. And there's a lot of black space and like blank space in the back behind the pages. Like he doesn't make a lot of use of the page. Like, I don't know if you no, noticed this, Yeah, this is very early stuff for him, so I'm not surprised that he's still learning how to... It's it's an interesting issue in that, I mean... It... This is common of the comic books at the time, though, to be this kind of style and have the 
a lot of the background, which was nothing, with just boxes of, of art, and then you do some over a plain whiter black yeah, backdrop. Yeah, I know. It's I don't have to like it. I know, but it was just it was. I, I think I don't think it's not just the artist. I think it's more of how they were making putting the comics together at the time. I guess well, that's even, true. Even the cover of this book is just unnecessarily '90s of Jubilee. <laughs> You know, covered in shells from a machine gun. It's like Cable and, meets Jubilee. Yeah, and it says the power, the fury, unleashed Jubilee. Really selling something that they're not going to deliver. Typical well, 90s fare. And then they start with actually something far more compelling, which is a almost dead Paige Guthrie with her skin torn off. Um, you know, I, I don't mind the black negative space on this. On that page, it works really well, and I like how like kind of the border, the panel with the X's, yeah. which is something they did a lot in Generation X, and we'll see that with future issues. And the way that her yeah. eyes are rolling in the back of her head, yeah, like it's super I, I, creepy. I, I, I didn't even recognize Bennett when I first read this. I was like, is that Churchill, but much tighter than regular Churchill? And no, of course it's not Churchill. It's it's Bennett. Um, now going back to the cover for a minute, I actually kind of like the cover. I mean, it's ridiculous, but because it's ridiculous, and I think it's it's self-aware enough to know that, I kind of find it adorable because she's still, like, popping the gum. You know, it's it's Jubilee. Unfortunately, in the issue, Jubilee looks terrible and is a lot less compelling than that cover would have you believe. Well, yeah, it has nothing to do with what she does in the book. She isn't unleashed. At one point, she shoots some pyrotechnic firecrackers. That's about it. Yeah, so, come on, guys. Like, again, this is the idea of trying to sell me on a cover that has nothing to do with the interiors. It's interesting to read this uh, this book too because it's a very different version of the of the White Queen. Like no, I know today, dead. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon me. You mean dead or quote unquote dead? Well, she's not dead here. Well, she's dead and then she's not dead. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, all you see from her this first issue is her on a gurney. But you mean her suit, her like white pants and the well, little top? Just her the way she's written, like at all. She's just she does not feel like the. The modern version of the character because Morrison went to a very different place with his version of Emma Frost, which I'm not saying is not correct because it works for a lot of people and that's why it's existed since he came on the book, what, like 12, 13 years ago. That is who Emma Frost is now. But reading how she is in, in uh, Generation X, it's a very different version of that character. And I kind of missed this version of the character. What, the more the more um, empathetic, more trying to become sensitive and, and bonding with Banshee kind of character? Kind of, yeah. And I actually, it makes me miss Banshee because this is probably the best Banshee ever was. Well, he wasn't, he, he wasn't much before. <laughs> so, I mean, he no. never really was much of a character. I mean, besides Age of Apocalypse where he was badass and awesome... This is Mostly co- because of his costume. <laughs> Partially, yeah. His costume was... there. He doesn't do much. No. But, I mean, so what is this issue really about? So it's like setting up Operation Zero Tolerance. We have Jubilee has been captured by Bastion. That's about it. That's yeah. really it in terms of the overall Operation Zero Tolerance. There's yeah. a lot of ongoing Gen X plot lines, which, if you're just reading for Zero Tolerance, doesn't really matter. No, they're just stranded on this, like, on the ocean, on this kind of clump of dirt, and each member of the team is trying to figure out where they are and, and you know skin is going to get sunburned so they got to they got to save him and and guthrie is falling apart so they got to scrape her skin off like it's just little pieces of a, of a, a different arc that actually doesn't go anywhere either by no the way. it doesn't but at least that part is more compelling than what we see of jubilee absolutely because <laughs> the jubilee stuff just feels so forced yeah, well, uh, maybe just as forced as this whole conversation between Chamber and Paige Guthrie where she starts yelling at him to treat her as an equal and they'll never be together and the romance is over. And I'm like, classic X-Men. I was leaping through this 
And Amber was watching a movie next to me, and she just kind of leans over and notices 90s X-Men and looks at the text, and her eyes remain on the page, and she doesn't watch the movie. And I look over, and I'm like, do you do you like this? And she's like, this is 90s X-Men. This is my jam. Like, this is amazing. Like, they're arguing and squabbling, and it's <laughs> like a soap opera, and it's terrible, and I love it. And it's just like, okay, fair enough. That, well, yeah, that's very true. That, well, that's what she grew up on, right? Yeah, for sure. Every Almost every second page, someone was having a breakup or angst over getting together. Absolutely. Or licking motor oil off someone else's face. <laughs> Not this time. Not this time. It's just Jubilee giving mouth to mouth to a, to a Bastion soldier. Yep. Now it's interesting why like the Bastion soldiers here look a little bit different than they do elsewhere, but I'm not gonna really care about consistency. Well, no, I mean they look fairly consistent with the cable issues. Like this is like yeah, their... it's just weird that later on they use Sentinels for everything except for yeah. here. Yeah, this is the Stormtrooper outfit, and then the, the the Alpha Sentinels, the Cyborgs, are are different kind of class, I guess. Then we got uh, Gen X twenty seven at the Mer- sorry, Paul. Did you have anything left to say about twenty six? We overcrowd you sometimes, so you got to speak up. You gotta punch through. Move on. Okay. Uh, so Gen X twenty seven at the mercy of Bastion. Could Jubilee really be the sole survivor of the X Men? Of course not. <laughs> now, how do you feel about the uh, the X's being like the border around the pages that Bacallo does? It's very, it's very, it's very much him, right? He he does border. He plays with borders, which is a lost art. I. Agree. Great, but uh, in AOA he did it too. Like this is him. This is typical Bacallo. It kind of reminds me also of uh, Mark Buckingham in uh, Fables. That's kind of the same type of stuff. Yes, but Mark is much better at it. Oh, absolutely. He tells a story with his backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually like the first few pages. I mean, seeing the shattered visor, the weird, creepy like Bastion in in uh, shadow. Like, I know you're not a huge fan of Bacallo at this time, but I don't know. In these first few pages, I think it's effective. What is his what is his obsession with putting um I don't know what to call it like what page am I on just so you can see it and anyone listening I was like well I'm not going to follow along so splash page is one second page is the creepy face third page is her you see her wrapped up in something in a, in a shadow fourth page first yeah. big splash page of her why are there nipples all over her arms and her thigh you know what I mean like whenever he designs a costume now um, like the Supernova's arc that he did for X-Men, yeah. all the Supernova members had the nipples on them. And That's then he, he did the design for Silver Samurai as a member of um, the AOA team, uh, um, yeah, Age of Apocalypse, and it was Silver Samurai with nipples on Like, every time he does a costume now. Is this like the helmet, like Doc Brown from Back to the Future? I was just yeah, thinking that. Meets Weapon X? Like, what is that? Absolutely, yeah. I think yeah, it's a good. That's a good one. Well, here's a question: What is it doing? Because like her powers are in her hands, and those are covered. Well, they're trying to read her thoughts, right? Is it's that like, what that is? Yeah, yeah. You, as you go through, yeah, the they're reading her. Get thoughts. a freaking psychic on your team! It's like they're trying to read her thoughts, but using a Rube Goldberg machine to try to design it. Like they've got a toaster on there at one point, and I'm pretty sure there's a soldering iron shoved in there. Like it's the lowest tech kind of piece. It might even be just a placebo effect. Like we put a bunch of crap on your head, so we're reading your thoughts. So tell us everything. It's such a horrible design. It's yeah. just it, it, it it's of someone who's just like this looks cool. And Bastion is like Doc Brown right here. Bastion, <laughs> yeah, Bastion does not look good. And that weird like Daria, the weird bald like sidekick he has. Yeah. What is going on? And then I don't know. and then you have like some of the issues not bad. The idea that they're trying to trick Jubilee, but like really to what end? Like they're just trying to get into the mansion, but they end up just going to the mansion anyway. 
and like cracking into the computers. So what was this whole long dialogue with having you know Jubilee captured? Oh, um, didn't they say though? I mean, later on, Bastion shows up in a hologram to Xavier and says, "We did it. Like your dream is over. We're in." And he says, "Well, you know, you said you couldn't do this though. You said you couldn't get in." Or something without me. Like, you couldn't even get in. Yeah. And you can't read my mind. And he says, well, we went through someone who had less psychic shielding. But that's a good point, because he does get into the computer room and then is completely locked out by all the encryption. So that's probably just a completely lost or dropped plot thread. Most likely. Um, reading through this issue. I mean, some of the issues not bad, but they're trying to, like, see inside Jubilation's memories and trying uh, to kind of... It's, it's pretty bad. Well... The, the concept itself isn't a bad one. No, it's... but the execution is poor, and the art is terrible, so let's move on. Yeah, well, uh, what, do, what do you think of Bacala's take on Wolverine? Terrible drawing. <laughs> you don't he, like that? He's done other Wolverines that, better, that are better. This issue, they just really feel that there are entire pages that are rushed, and some that are tighter, but a lot of it... It's like he spent more time drawing the X's. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? There are times it definitely looks that way. There's just stamps too at this point. I don't think he's even drawing every action. Oh right? no, this not looks... at all. Now, what about that weird panel where like it's like supposed to be like Nimrod or sorry, Bastion's memories? What is up with that? What the, the the naked guy with all the circles? Yeah, that's supposed to be him. He put the X's in the wrong spot at one point. And had to... <laughs> put the X's in the wrong spot and he put him on this guy instead. I, I never even got that until you said that. I never got that that's supposed to be him. It's supposed to be his memories. That's what it says. Yeah, these are. Uh, it's Dario says picking the mo- up his memories. Yeah. yeah, but I don't know. I don't know who his or him is. It's supposed to refer to Bastion. Have a giant yeah. helmet on. Well, true, but Bastion's in this weird psychic room, which again makes it believe makes you believe that it has nothing to do with this weird Doc Brown machine, but more about the room itself, which again makes no sense. There's a lot of plot issues here. Well, I, I guess it shows that they knew at this point what Nimrod, uh, Nimrod, what, uh, well, Nimrod, what, what Bastion kind of was, because they are showing him he's a robot. Yeah, they're definitely going that way. And then the issue just kind of ends with Jubilee feeling like, you know, I showed him. Ugh. Just not good. No. Um, now, in the hardcover and the trades, that you, uh, the digital collections you guys have at your fingertips, um... Do we want to continue talking about Generation X and just go through all the Gen X tie-ins, or do we want to actually go in the order that they're presented in the heart in the collection, which would bring us to an issue of X Force, which is not good. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. The, the whole Generation X thing doesn't go anywhere at all, so I don't know if there's a point. And plus, it's harder for me to jump around in the digital comic. True. Well, then let's we'll just go in the order. We'll go in the chronology then. So then we have X Force. Um, hey, you got Paul next to you. Paul is a chronology master. He would. Never do it the other way. <laughs> this is true, absolutely. ADX issue by issue, perfect chronology. Have you uh, have you listened to our uh, our onslaught uh, flashback? Yes, I did. It was super bloated. I, I'm worried that we're going to get there with this too. True. Well we'll, well, we'll we'll tighten it up. I think the more we go, the more we're going to tighten it up. Well, I think we can blow through a lot of this. Like X Force is useless. Like, like, who's the guy with the white Wolverine hair and the red eyes? Like, seriously, <laughs> who designed this man? I, <laughs> that was a good idea. The giant zipper on his, like, baby PJs? Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's ridiculous. It's such a, like, I don't like Adam Polina generally as an artist. Um, it's just not my taste. And John Francis Moore is not my favorite writer. I just, I don't get it. Like, this whole MLF and you have Danny Moonstar working for S.H.I.E.L.D. 
It's all lost to me. I just could not care less about the storyline. Yeah, now, I, I don't love Paulina, but I find some of his work to be very kinetic, very impressive. Like when he wants something to move, yeah. his, his actual motion panels are far stronger than his, 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 his static panels. But here and there, you find some very impressive pieces of art. But in general, yeah, there's nothing to luck here. There's not a lot that actually ties into Operation Zero Tolerance here either, except for you see at the very end some of the Sentinels uh, unveiled. Although, I want to, this has nothing to do with the storyline, but it's just weird and creepy. The last page of that particular issue, you have Ozymandias showing up in Salem Center while Caliban sleeps, and this is when Caliban's a little childlike. And he basically, like, caresses his face when he's sleeping. Why is this weird, creepy stone man caressing well, Caliban's he face? He becomes a horseman at some point, right? He already was at this point, and he will be again at that. Okay. But it's just—it's just a really weird choice. No, no, it just goes to show you exactly how Apocalypse looks after his horsemen. <laughs> he, he sends Ozymandias <laughs> in at night to watch them and sometimes to touch them. That's—that's—that's that's, that's how you—you know—people know people know that you care for them, right? Oh, it's so creepy. It's okay to go to a, someone's room while they're sleeping and just watch them. That's—that's that's nice. Well, he's got stuffed animals with him because he's, you know, childlike. Well, that one good thing I will say about this issue that I enjoyed, and I was looking, because again, I, when I was a teenager, I remember reading this and then this series in general, not this panel, this, this uh, issue, and going, uh, my impression now was that there was very little attempt to connect this to anything realistic or justify how a country like the United States could essentially be taken over by neo-Nazis and have the government ratify a bill that would let them hunt down American citizens on American soil and kill or imprison them. Mm. So I was that, that didn't come up to my mind when I was a teenager. But now I'm like, okay, I'm going to look for it. And there are a few times when they actually try, the, the writers try to justify or write something in that gives it context. And so in this issue, there's a point where members of X-Force, uh, Siren, uh, Sunspot, and domino sneak in as a as a pretend media crew to go into the um hostage situation to try to kind of extricate at least perhaps moonstar um um moonstone sorry and and not moonstone moonstar uh and uh any of the hostages out and they use this explanation by saying look we need to go in and interview uh, and interview them it's a non-violent way to solve this crisis and the zero tolerance soldiers say no there's no way and so Domino reminds him and says, remember, you want this to turn to Waco? Do you mm. think this is a smarter? You, you, you know, she says, "Don't." Um, it doesn't take much to turn public opinion. So you want to keep your precious zero tolerance uh, agenda going. Um, the last thing you need is a massacre as a result of not letting us kind of, you know, go in. So, I mean, at least there is some attempt to justify this. And I, I enjoyed that. But other than that, um, most of the issue is a big waste. <laughs> Um, now, next up in the collection is a few pages from X-Men 64. This is not an additional copy. Is it not? No. You don't have this? I do not. Well, it's oh. somewhere else. It's not... Oh, I have, this in, I have this in my hardcover collection. There's a few pages from X-Men 64. Just the relevant pages. There was a, uh, a page with um, Jubilee and Bastion once again having a bit of a tete-a-tete. It's just two pages long. And then at the end of the issue, you have about three, four pages that just lead into X-Men 65, where the X-Men are shot out of the sky, basically, by Bastion soldiers. Um, it's basically the X-Men are just on their way home from Hong Kong. Um, and then, out of nowhere, and this is kind of resolved, but not really, Jean Grey suddenly has some sort of psychic uh, energy attack, which doesn't make sense at all. And we'll get to that when we get to the issue. And at the very end, we have uh, Operation Joe Tolerance kind of surrounding their jet, which doesn't make a lot of sense, because they're moving. 
So I don't think you'd surround them like this without them going right into. Um, and so you don't have this in your digital copy at all? Unless I am looking at it. With... No. Okay. Then it's going... Are you talking about when Gene sees Iron Man? No. Well, no, that, no. that happens in issue 65, but it is in issue 64, it is mentioned. Like, we see some sort of pink energy surround her, and she's freaking out, and then that leads into 65. Yeah, no, that's not the digital copy. Okay, so let's go right to Gen X 28. Is that included in your copy? Yes. Yeah, but why? Well, we're going to go right past it, because it's, it's useless. Yeah. Um, did Bacala do the artwork here? Yeah. Yes. Ugh, it's just not good. Like, it's just different. Well... It just it just feels like like if you read the issues before it, it feels like where where did they get here? How did they get no, here? There's what? a huge jump. Like they're still on the ocean, but right now there's this cosmic being that's trying to grant their wishes, and so they're in this stupor. Uh, imagine an ancient stupor. What is happening here? Oh, it's Glorian, the shaper of dreams. Yeah, that's him. Who's but, on top of it? If, if you notice the panels, though, like he's really playing with panels in this issue. That's the best. That's like the highlight of this issue. True, he does play with it, but it just the story doesn't go anywhere. No. Why is Emma's costume red now instead of the black that it was last issue? I do not know. And then I guess there's a backup feature she, here. Okay, so so she comes back to life, quote unquote, and she says this whole convoluted piece of garbage about how she was tricking Black Tom Cassidy, so she controlled Banshee's scream. It didn't really kill her. She controlled him so that he'd go at the perfect pitch to knock her out for an hour. <laughs> then, she, so stupid, she used her psionic powers to control her heartbeat so that Black Tom would think she was dead. But then she came back. And after she got out, she decided to change her other slinky costume for a darker slinky costume. Yep. A Generation X costume. That's, that's, that's the stupidity. Now, speaking of... Um, so at the back of the end of this issue, there's a double feature where you have Brian Hitch on art. Very early Brian Hitch, yeah. It's Hitch. not very good. It's super early, yeah. It's it's hard to believe it's him, but some of the faces, like on yeah. some some of the faces on Banshee, you can yeah. definitely see where he is. But it's so early that it's it's a super rough. Like I, I thought, based on this, it was more Alan Davis. Actually, yes, I, I did too. Absolutely, I can see that. And, and, you, and we all and, and Alan Davis has been a huge influence on many UK artists, and you know Hitch has had no bones about that. But I don't know you're right. I, I thought at first it was him. Now, uh, Hammerfrost's red costume with the weird <laughs> kind of like bathing suit kind of top on it. Like she's got this red costume, and I don't know where there's like a yellow thong that's like on top of the costume. This is not a good look for her, by the way. No, well, I, I don't like any of the Gen X costumes, so whatever. You don't like the red uh, the red costumes? They're no, very, I, I like the costume, really. I actually like Jubilee the best. I like her in her yellow, uh, whatever we call this, rain suit. What does she have? Her raincoat? I don't know. Her yellow coat, coat with the pink with, sunglasses and the bubblegum. Yeah, I like her with the, her, her yellow coat and the red uniform. The, the generic uniform on its own... I don't think it's any more impressive than the X-Men generic uniform of just gold and blue. I don't... True. Actually, although I don't mind it on Monet. On M, I like it the most. At least, you mean on Emma? I'm sorry, on on M. I don't know why we can't give everybody Jubilee's nipple costume <laughs> that she's tied up in. I don't... Because <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. And at the end of the issue, isn't this the weird, like, nanotech that, that goes into Jubilee out of nowhere? Yes, Daria is made apparently of nanotech. <laughs> why not? Yeah, why not? And she's got that, you know, I don't know. Next up, X-Men 65. Is that what hey, you guys... an actual issue. <laughs> Yay! 
Now, it's interesting, it's not branded Operation Zero Tolerance, but you need to read it to understand the storyline more than most. Yeah. Although, the first page, here's Iron Man from Heroes Reborn. They're just like, guys, we are selling a bunch of comics, but we could sell more if you guys would just read them. It's a total <laughs> advertisement. It's nothing, it adds nothing to the story. No, it adds nothing. In fact, it makes no sense. It distracts from the story. Yeah, no, it, it distracts from the story, and it makes no sense considering that they knew that the Franklin's world was where they were. So how does Jean Grey suddenly get psychically you know, attacked by and drawn into this alternate reality? It makes no sense. No. But as a kid, I was like, holy shit, it's Iron Man. This is awesome. Yeah. I read Iron Man. It just reeks of editorial interference. It does. But again, I read Iron Man at the time, so as a fan, I was reading both books, and I was like, this is super exciting. I read this Iron Man. That's cool. And Pacheco draws a pretty good Iron Man. He does. And the whole idea of like her saying, like, you're dead, and he's like, well, you know, I would be if I took a hit like that, and him being like, oh, you know, I, doing a check after, after she disappears on what are the X-Men, like, that was kind of cool. But it I bled. love how his armor is like, sir, you've just been hit by what appears to be pure psionic energy. <laughs> I'm like, oh, of course, because he has a sensor for that. Of course he does. What is the purity of the psionic energy that I've been hit with? Oh, it's 100%. <laughs> yeah, it's pure telekinetic energy. I've been hit by 64% before, but 100%? <laughs> wow. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's just the mouth that I like on, this, on the Iron Man suit. That's the only thing that bugs me about it. Yeah, the yeah, mouth on one of the... no mouth hole. It's just a gap in the, in the Yeah, in it wasn't for that. Like, change the faceplate, and that armor is pretty sweet. No. Not quite modular, but... Card. That overpower card makes you kind of like this armor, doesn't it? I hate that overpower card. You see his back and he's admiring the, the ghetto like Mark II <laughs> oh, helmet. At least somewhat Horrendous. Because of the card. Horrendous. I hated that second overpower card. Oh my god. Well, this makes me nostalgic for that game. <laughs> uh, then we go to... Uh, which, pardon me? <laughs> Some hikers. It's total 90, like 80s, 90s X-Men or any We're Marvel so comic enough. book was yeah. like this let's, let's set the scene and then we'll show the action and again we call these the 90s x-men books because a lot of the books were written by scott labelle and so it has the same tone absolutely now it's, it's consistent right it's interesting yeah. too because when you really think about this you have a heavily advanced like warship and you have a regular like commercial liner yeah <laughs> or like slightly smaller than commercial but they make it seem like it's this like harrowing dogfight. wouldn't this yeah. fight be over in like five minutes yeah, and they're well, yes, and they're also saying things like reporting on the news. The X Men attacked first, and I'm like, wh- who would believe that ever? <laughs> I, apparently, the gut. Well, the same people who believe that uh, Spider Man's a menace because Jameson says so. Well, Jameson's apparently is actually a really good reporter, except for this. when it comes to Spider Man. Yes, yeah, there we go. Uh, now, the whole X Men being attacked again as a kid. Well, like, wow, what was I like thirteen and a half when this came out? I thought this was really cool, like. Looking back, maybe not so much, but like the whole idea of like the X Men are suddenly under siege, they're they're, they're stuck in the air. Like, that's kind of cool. Like you put them into a scenario, it's not easy for them to get out of. And in fact, they can't get out of it. They do end up getting captured. So again, as a kid, I thought this was a, a really strong start because you have the main X Men squad get neutralized in one issue. What the hell are you going to do next? Yeah, but again, also as a kid. I thought it was really cool if you could, like, pick your nose and fling it really far and it would hit the wall and stick there. So We had very I different agreed. childhoods. 
I also thought this was a really strong start as a teen, and I was like, wow, you know, this is cool. It's You know the line has been drawn and things are going down. And, and to me, again, like Adam, I'm sure, this was my first issue of this storyline because it was in Uncanny, and this is what I read. I'm oh, sorry, this is X-Men. In X-Men. Um, and so to me, I'm like, oh, it's starting with a bang. There's not like a whole several issues of, of trials or, the, or members of Congress talking about this. It's just it's going, you know? Now, the, there is a lot of heavy-handedness here, uh, really pushing some of the points. Like, uh, when you have people at this bar, like, flinging their beers everywhere in, in, in uh, jubilation that they're finally sticking it to the mutants. And you have this, uh, this like, at this bar, this couple, this Japanese couple at this rowdy bar. And it's, like, very over-the-top narration. But, like, interesting that they've seen this side of America before. They've seen what it leads to. Like they're wary of it, and these other like, these, yeah, these that, redneck that's yokels. Example of them trying to make a connection to historicity or making some kind of justification how not everyone will be on board for this. And I wish they did that a little more sensitively, and I wish they spent a little more time exploring that because that kind of idea of people going like, "Look, this this is, has parallels to other uh, you know other issue instances of violation of people's rights and, uh, and and being too extreme, you know, moving too far to the right." So. Yeah, I wish there was more and less of of Peter, uh, Peter Henry Geirich, Peter Henry Geirich um, flip flopping because you see him in a few issues like this, really pushing it and saying, "Look, you, this is justified." Um, who can, who can even say whether these are American citizens? We don't know who they are. We, mm-hmm. It is justified to hunt them down like they're they're criminals. But then in Spider-Man or the uh, Uncanny, uh, where he talks to Spider-Man, he says, "Look, I'm not really interested in, in, in Operation Zero Tolerance. I am not its biggest supporter. Uh, I completely understand what you guys are going through, and I'm not, you know." So he just kind of he's not written consistently, which I wish I had a better understanding what Gyrick's stake was in this, mm. because he's always kind of felt like this curmudgeonly guy who doesn't like mutants, but kind of secretly wants to see them succeed. Well, and like, or just kind of is a curmudgeon who doesn't really like heroes in general, because right. he's because he's he's he used to show up in the Avengers books all the time. Sure, but and he's he, not a big fan of violating fundamental civil rights. No, now it's interesting. Do you look? Did you look at his tie? What the? Uh, I, don't, I can't see what's on it. It's a uh, it's Avenger symbols. Is it? <laughs> he's wearing an Avengers tie. That's cute. That's a nice little touch, and actually, they keep it going in every in every close up of him. He is wearing an Avengers tie. That's the kind of thing, though, that if I was like an existing member who uh, of Avengers who didn't die, I'd be like, "Can you take that tie off while you're speaking about imprisoning people and t- you know because of how they were born?" True. I don't like the idea that you're wearing my team's flag while you while you talk like this, like a neo Nazi. Now, something I didn't think about it, I wouldn't have thought about it at the time at all, but now I notice it is that. Uh, in the same kind of place where they're talking about Operation Zero Tolerance and they throw like a graphic up on the TV screen for like yeah, the very like stylized Zero. That feels like something that would happen these days. Maybe not in 97, but like as a very kind of modern media would spin something like this and kind of give it, it, it almost seems like it would have its own theme music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because that's well, what wars do. This is a war on terrorists, right? This is a war on potential domestic terrorists. Which again, you know, if they had built it more that way, that would have been a little uh, a stronger narrative, I suppose. Although, again, in '97, not when when did the Unabomber do his thing? I honestly don't remember. Paul, let me check. No. no. Now, one thing again, there's a lot of weird parts to this issue. Like for a while throughout the issue, the bottom half of each page is is dealing with what's going on in Salem Center, 
and you have like you know the the local cops showing up and then they get relieved by like the the feds and they're all like grumpy about it which felt like like why is this even here <laughs> like he's just filling up space and then later in the issue we get the first appearance of cecilia reyes although i was pointing out to paul earlier a very different look for the character because she doesn't look like the character we've come to know and not really love, but we come to know her. She never became anything. She was never really anything. Yeah. She, she's still around, right? Like she's still sometimes around as like a medical doctor, but like yeah, but she, like her maggot and marrow were supposed to be this, this big next thing, and all three of them were useless. Marrow had the longest yes. shelf life of any of them. She, yeah, she went to space. Yeah, she went to. She did a lot of things. I yeah, mean, I mean, maggot got killed in a concentration camp, so. That which is super dark. I do appreciate something they're going for here, where you know, a little bit of heavy handedness. This idea with like, oh, they're 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 taking, they're attacking, they're messing with a sister. I can see they're taking out those X Men, but now they're messing with a sister. Like that's a little heavy handed. But this idea that um, first of all, um, Celia Rays is in denial. She's in big denial of who she is. Yeah. And um, you know, it's been known that other people, you know, in the LGBT community, for example, like you know that you are gay, but you when people talk to you about. It, you are the most vocal about, yeah, you should put those people in prison. They're disgusting. They should never be allowed to get married. This is horrible. That you're, you're, you know, you're the guy who, or girl who speaks out against it the most, but secretly you're a closet, you know, gay or yeah. homosexual person. So this kind of reminded me of that, this idea that she's in such severe denial that she's actually speaking out against her own people. Um, I, I kind of like that as well. Um, and then, um, you know, this guy who's trying to stand up for Storm and everyone else is kind of, he's unpopular in this crowd of people. It, 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 there could have been a moment here, but it, it's too quickly gone. Uh, again, the human the human moments are too quickly gone. I do like that apparently this guy showed up before in X, Uncanny X-Men 122. Yeah, you love those editorials. I freaking love editorial boxes. Yes, because it gives a sense to, a sense of continuity of history, and I love that sense that you used to get in comics that used to feel the shared history that there's something more and it made me want to want to learn about that history and learn about those old comics and give me a reason to go back whereas modern comics never make me feel that way because they almost don't want to accept well, that they exist there's, like okay, it's okay. there's reasons behind that because one you get the recap page to kind of give you just where the trade is going to go and because shit changes so fast now nothing lasts right like here you can go back and read stuff and mm-hmm. it all led into things where now they're always changing the status quo every year it's it, nothing lasts right so multiple back, multiple going, times going, per year yeah and going back to something doesn't matter because it doesn't matter anymore mm-hmm. right it was a cool thing at the time and you know it was what it was it's we, like saying enjoyed it put it aside here's yeah. the new thing right it's like how many status quo changes have happened since any of pick an event <laughs> Right, exactly. Like Secret Invasion, how many major status quo have we right. had since then? At least, what, so, five? Yeah, and, and we can go off on a huge tangent as to where, where this all the Secret Wars summer 2015 bullshit's going to go to, but that's a whole other podcast. Uh, so is Storm still claustrophobic, or they just don't do that anymore? Um, they don't address it. It has been addressed recently, so it is still a thing. Because they spent the entire 90s reminding us that she was claustrophobic. Oh, the animated series especially. Ooh, yeah, yep. was... And they do it right here as well. Oh, yeah. They put her in that weird, like, amber. Polymer. <laughs> yeah. Where do they get these wonderful toys? Yeah, well, you know, when you're part Nimrod, it's easy. I guess. I do... What do you think of these, these uh, Prime Sentinels? Well, 
What do, what do you mean? The idea that they, people have been surgically modified in, in this horrend, in these horrifying ways often, like their skin melts off and junk? Yeah, but like that and also like just the idea of these kind of miniaturized sentinels instead of these giant monstrosities that are generally are re- relatively inefficient except for when they're being controlled by Onslaught. Um, like now you have these kind of much like easy, like much more human size. Well, they are human sized. So they're easier to kind of infiltrate places. Like they're kind of a cool concept. Well, uh, we this is stuff that I think might have been inspired by people like the Unabomber and things like that. So this new wave of terrorism that people are smuggling bombs in on their persons. Uh, that was a thing in the '90s, and so this idea of technology, this fear of technology becoming a way that we can weaponize human beings. Um, very much an idea here. I mean, we had movies that were coming out in the 90s, like Universal Soldier and stuff like this, where the, the weaponization and making creation of super soldiers and cybernetics with people. So, um, yeah, I think this is kind of... Extremis. Sorry, what? It's like extremists before extremists. Sure, like extremists before that, or um, any number of different uh, franchises that were springing up at this time, or even vir- the what virtual reality would become and how it would bond with humans, and we would. So, I mean, this idea is kind of horrifying, and I, I was a little bit disturbed by it, especially how it was usually a very violent reaction that would happen, or even in Uncanny X Men that comes up later. Um, when it's revealed that Gyrick's guards are secretly these uh, Alpha Sentinels or whatever they're called, these Prime Sentinels, but they they cease looking like they're human, and it's not really made clear whether or not they can ever go back to looking like they're human. And I think at one point in one of the Wolverine issues, don't they don't they reveal that like once they have been revealed, they can't ever not be revealed again? I think so. Yeah. So it's like once you go machine, once you go Nimrod, you're stuck that way. That's pretty. That's pretty horrifying. It is. Now, one thing about this storyline in general, which affected my enjoyment of the character ever since, is that I really liked how Iceman was portrayed in this entire storyline. He really stepped up. And ever since then, it's felt like they've never gone close to being able to make the character grow up. And I thought this was a nice way of having... The the character had gone through some growth just before Operation Zero Tolerance, where he was infiltrating Graydon Creed's uh, presidential campaign. He had the issues with his dad... Yeah. Um, the character had gone through, through some actual periods of act, of growth for the first time in like 30 years. Had Emma possessed him yet? This she had, yeah. Okay. That had already happened. Okay. So we had some really cool stuff in here where you know he's kind of made his peace with his dad. They've come to a new understanding. He goes out to kind of do what he can to kind of protect mutants now that this Operation Zero Tolerance is terrorizing America. And then it just feels like ever since then, they've made him such a joke. He's a he's. He's basically, um, you know how I, I usually complain that Human Torch has always re- kind of regressed to this kind of just the, the typical kind of um, uh, hot shot, but like he's had so much growth throughout his career, but they've kind of, they keep bringing him back to this core idea that no, he's just a hot shot who makes jokes and is immature. Iceman is that, is, is the X-Men's version of Human Torch, basically, as a character. Yeah, around this time as well, they were actually having an experiment with his powers, like when his chest is shattered by post, and then he doesn't re- – like, I don't know if I can revert or not. I can't go back to my human form, and they go this whole thing where Emma's trying to train him and help him learn how to control his powers, and he eventually learns to repair the hole in his chest and revert and not die. There, there was there was two layers to that, right? There was, as you mentioned, Adam, all those changes that were going on with him emotionally and, and trying to help him mature and, and coming to terms with his dad and and his powers, and you're right, um, they've never really done anything with him since. It's constantly been a frustration for me, because, again, uh, 
you saw I saw him briefly in the uh, animated series, and he was kind of interesting, and he kind of had seemed like he had a, a, a chip on his shoulder and some baggage. So I, I almost, you know, I think that issue or episode made me like Bobby, and so I came to the X Men books. He wasn't really in them much, and so I read I read Age of Apocalypse as soon as I could, and Bobby is awesome in that. He can teleport by transforming his molecules into water molecules and going across like the uh, the um, um, the ozone layer of the of the Earth, and he can he can just morph his body into whatever shape he needs to. He can freeze your brain, and so he can short your mind out. Like he was just so cool looking and so powerful. And then I was like, "Wow, Iceman! I'm I'm a huge fan." To this day, I still say I'm a fan of Iceman, and I don't know why because he hasn't done anything. That that I kind of feel the same way, you know. Like I I really like the character because of my you know he was awesome in Age of Apocalypse. He was good in Operation Zero Tolerance. And that was kind of it. Very good in Overpower. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable in Overpower. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. Uh, the end of this issue is what we talked about before, where Bastion kind of breaks into the mansion, gets into the mansion. He's in the middle of trying to decipher the uh, all the you know the Xavier protocols, the mutant underground, the danger room schematics, all the most dangerous material that that uh, that Xavier has. And that was always, again, a great way to start a storyline. Where you take down the you know the the current team of X Men that are on Earth, you have Xavier under lock and key, looking at his dream kind of falling apart and everything that he worked for being taken away from him. That's a great place to start a story. And even though there's some purple prose in here and there's stuff that you wouldn't see in a modern comic, I think it still holds up relatively well as this is a, a statement of intent. How many storylines, any event, have started off amazing? And I'm going somewhere you didn't think it would go or ending poorly. It's, oh, it's very um, typical. I, 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 at the time, was it as typical, though? I don't think it was. Okay, but can you name me any event that hasn't started well? That hasn't started well? It hasn't started well. And uh, ended well? Well, just more started well, first of all. That didn't start well. No, that, yeah. Any event that didn't start well, didn't hook you. That didn't hook me. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure I can think of a lot, actually. Um... I was never really hooked by Secret Invasion. No, I see that. I thought the first issue really hit me hard. It was great, and then from there, it never picked up on the. I would say Avengers versus X Men. I don't know if it really grabbed. It didn't start that well. It was all right. It was. It, I was very uneven the whole way. Like it got better. I I, I think AVX is the storyline that got better once it figured out what it wanted to be. Because they knew what they wanted it to be, but they didn't tell you. So they made you wade through like five issues of the same thing before you got to the point, which was something completely different. And yeah, but with AVX, also the premise, though, was enough to kind of grab you. You know, you kind of you get introduced in that first issue. I guess, Paul, are you saying that, is there an example of a story that not necessarily didn't have the best first issue, but something that was crap and then got amazing? Or what are you saying? Sure, let's go with that. Okay, crap, and then amazing. Wow, I I don't think that does happen. I think they do put their best foot forward. I think that's what they usually try to do. Exactly right. True, but I well, it doesn't take anything away from this particular issue. No, it doesn't. I'm not trying to. I'm just saying, but it's very typical for them to lead off something big and boom. Here's what we're gonna do. Now you've got your brain thinking, oh, they can do this, they can do this. Let's see where they rock with this, yeah. and then. You know, more times than often, unfortunately, it usually leads to some kind of weird disappointment or crazy plot twist. You're like, oh, okay. I've, th- I've thought of a storyline that started off really shitty and technically speaking did get better, although it still wasn't great. And I was... Did you say Savage She-Hulk, curious. No, it was um, uh, Maximum Security. 
Come on, no, Nate. that was all bad. <laughs> but it started really poor. Yeah, but like once you once you have a pile of poop, how do how far do you down do you dig to see if the poop gets a little sweeter smelling? I kept reading so it. So I started as an eight for you, and then raised to a ten. Oh actually. wow! Is that what you're saying? Uh huh. Uh-huh. It's, it's an eight. It's an eight. <laughs> you guys are jerks. Um, Uncanny X Men three forty six is the next one I have in my uh, hardcover yes, here. Yes, that's correct. Now this, this is this a, is my first issue of this whole thing. Actually, this is. I mean, no, it's interesting. Between issue sixty five of of uh, X Men and uh, and uh, Uncanny X Men three forty six, there was a month off uh, during the flashback event. Do you remember that, Nate? Yeah. I'm, do I remember Flashback? Absolutely. So, I mean, like, it has nothing... No, they didn't really have anything that really connected with anything, I guess. Nope. There was a Master Mold story, kind of, told in uh, Uncanny X-Men Minus One. Which, I think Lobdell made some hints there that would lead to Bastion, as well as The Twelve, which ended up being total shit. So you don't want me to get you that Twelve poster for your birthday? Didn't say that. You put that on your ceiling and you can look at it at night. I don't know if my wife would appreciate it. I'll put a big old eight on it. <laughs> you guys you guys are rough. Hey, um, as we move on to three forty six, you know, one of the things that happens at the end of the last issue of, of X Men is that Bastion, as you said, gets into the mansion and then he says, Um, I have the codes to the Xavier protocols. Um, did did Lobdell know what those were at this point? I, I think he did. The Xavier Protocols had already come out during Onslaught. Right, so why don't they take advantage of that? I really wish they had just kind of either... Like, first of all, Lobdell explains everything. So he does. He never explains this to the audience. Well, and then, it's never really a threat that he'll get the Xavier Protocols. Well, like, here's a question. So well, here's a question, though. Considering he doesn't have the Xavier Protocols, look at how he takes out the, the X-Men... Absolutely perfectly as if he had the protocols. Yeah, like, like he but he's a sentinel. They were designed them. to know and adapt. They're like the Borg of the I, I, I know that, but how do they know that Storm is claustrophobic? Like that's weren't very the, particular. Weren't the Xavier protocols also eventually supposed to kind of have been vaguely used to help with Sentinels in the future? Like wasn't wasn't the idea that like the weaknesses of the X Men or am I just reading into it too much? I, 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 I think that's actually a that... really interesting concept, but I think it's totally read into. Okay. Well, anyway, either way, Xavier's supposed to know them better than even... Because, I mean, the idea of the Nimrod technology is it's supposed to be able to read your DNA or read your genetic code and try to create on-the-fly uh, adjustments or, or, or counters. Mm. But Xavier's protocols have been carefully prepared ways to kill you. Yes. So you would think it'd be more efficient, but Adam makes a good point. They've just taken out the X-Men... They didn't even get to the mansion. It took it took them less time to take out the X-Men than did to, to go to the mansion. Because as you recall, the FBI or someone, or police officers, have to drive to the mansion. And they're standing outside of it waiting for the feds to show up, quote-unquote. Yeah. Because for some reason it took them that long to get there. Um, so yeah, getting the Xavier Protocols at this point, I guess, is pretty useless. Although, again, in you know the next issue, what is it, Wolverine they break out? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they didn't really have enough to keep them there. Now we got uh, so we got again a big a big uh, a big milestone I guess for many 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 years it was what Maduera's only time ever doing Spider Man for a long time. Yeah, he also did the art on Spider Man, however, for um, Marvel superheroes for Capcom. Okay. 
Uh, he did the the cover art. Uh, if anyone who got the PlayStation or the um, Sega Saturn copy of that video game, it was Joe Madureira's art clearly on that. Which I freaked out as a kid. I was a teenager. I'm like, this is awesome. You seem like a girl, didn't you? But well, I didn't have a PlayStation, so I kind of just frowned and pretended that Nintendo 64 was better, even though years <laughs> later I realized that wasn't the case. Yeah, that's not. Yeah. So. We got uh, Joe Mad on art, Labdell still writing. Um, the issue, I mean, it's called Uncanny X-Men, but really it could have been called the Uncanny Jameson guest-starring Spider-Man. Yeah, Jameson is the hero of this issue. Absolutely. In fact, this isn't the first time Labdell had written uh, Jameson, because a few months earlier he had written, uh, I think it was in an issue of X-Men, where you had Jameson meeting with Bastion at a different time. And so I, I, they did such a good job writing him. Now, he's never looked as buff as he he's does ripped. here. Yeah. And J. <laughs> Jonah Jameson looks like a brick house. Like, <laughs> Mad had not learned any subtlety, and he had not learned how to draw different frames. Every frame is essentially the same frame. Spider-Man, he, he gives Spider-Man a thin waist, but then bulky shoulders and bulky arms because he doesn't know. He has two styles. He has Hulk size and he has person size. I love That's this, this splash of Spider-Man. No, like six page in or something like that. Yeah, Spider Man, Spider Man swinging, and then it's the page after he's like he he changes. Yeah, okay. Let me get there. But um, as we move on, yeah, the, the the first few pages of Jameson being an actual reporter really was is some of the the most exciting and, and compelling Jameson writing I've ever seen. And not to put down the pulse, but I mean, he really sounds like a, a, a character with conviction, and he you know he says. Um, the news outlets reported that the X-Men attacked first, so clearly that's the other way around. And they're like, wait a minute, that's what basically you know, NBC just said. And he's like, I, because they said that, it's probably wrong. And I want you guys to be real reporters and find actual facts here. Like, that's that's pretty cool. And he's like, I, I don't really like superpowered heroes. I don't think they should be around. They should be locked up. But something's fishy here. And, mm-hmm. and he's got he's got a real sense for truth, and I was like, wow! I've, up to this point, I've always just kind of had to hate him because every other piece of material from the '60s cartoon Spider-Man show to to any comic I had read had made him sound like he was an enemy. But this makes him sound like a man of conviction, and I really enjoyed it. Absolutely, like yeah, and again, I forgot that there was a running subplot for a while where Jameson was trying to find out more about Bastion and his connection to this new Operation Zero Tolerance. Because he mentions a, a reporter that was missing, yeah, yeah. who was murdered by Jam- by sorry by by Jameson by uh, Bastion. And again, uh, he has no proof. He has no proof it was Bastion. But again, as a super sleuth that he is, as the reporter that he is, he's got a nose for it. He's like, look, I made the connection. I know you did it. But here's the thing. We, so everything we just said, because Lubdell can't leave well enough alone, he has Jameson basic sorry uh, Robertson basically say that. He may be an arrogant, hot-tempered, judgmental son of a gun, but you have to give J. Jonah Jameson credit for standing up for what he believes in. Yeah, isn't that too, isn't that too bad? That's an example of... of overwriting? Well, not overwriting. I mean, the idea, like, you're supposed to show, not tell. Yeah. Lubdell is a teller, not a shower. Absolutely. Because it's, it's a nice thing to, to, to see, but again, he has to kind of knock you over the head with it that, you know, yeah, look at, look at Jameson. He's a good guy. Um, then we have a Spider-Man, or Peter Parker changing into Spider-Man. Very classic Peter Parker. Just running around on the on the on the sides of buildings. 
Now, I'll say this. As we go through this um, issue, I, I as, a, as a teenager, I love this. This is one of the moments in Joe Matt's career where, you know, beyond the, the kiss from Joseph on Rogue, um, which I really thought was a very sweet shot and very good art, um, I fell in love with this issue. I thought this was such good art. Rereading this, it's really uneven. It's quite – I mean, sometimes Peter's hands are bigger than his head. Um, he's, his body is stretched out. The, the proportions are, are really – terrible Mero's torso is like three people long it's really bad but we'll get to it maybe there's one panel that actually made me want to be an artist and I'll we'll get to it when we get to it but keep going uh well I mean we have you know Jam, Jam, um Guyrick uh, Peter's trying to take his picture and then follow him and then uh you know basically Mero attacks with Callisto both wearing like weird armor well I guess Mero's not wearing armor but the underside of her breasts looks like armor and not bone. <laughs> yeah, because you can't cover up the breasts. you got to have it around them. <laughs> it's so weird. And yeah. again, Callisto wearing her weird body armor. I'll take that over octopus arms any day. <laughs> over octopus arms? Yeah. Oh, he's talking about Callisto. Oh. Why is she octopus arms? She got weird octopus arms when she was on Genosha for a while. Oh, did she? Yeah, it doesn't make That's any terrible. sense. Just go with it. It's comics. All right. Um, now this in, there's an interlude here which makes no sense because it makes it look oh, like Gambit yeah. and the rest of the X Men may be on some weird X, like planet somewhere, but they're yeah. they're on Earth. This has no connection to anything. Oh, like this idea of the zebra faced man <laughs> that never comes up again. Nope. Well, kind of. Some sort of creature shows up in the next issue, but looks nothing like this. That's that's the thing. I as a as a teenager, I was always looking at this and going, "What am I missing?" And it, the, I was missing nothing. It was just they made an error. Now it's interesting as well reading this now. Considering Bastion's head of this you know huge organization, he's busy you know infiltrating the X Mansion and finding all the data he needs. Why does he have time to go say hi to Jameson? Well, no, I mean there is a point to it, right? They make it fairly clear that True. he is trying to shape the news. He's trying to shape the truth. And he's trying to manipulate Jameson into playing his game. And Jameson, as we said, is the hero of the story. Because, again, he's given all the best lines. He looks almost the best. He almost looks better than, than Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. Abs- no, absolutely. This, the heroics of Spider-Man, quote-unquote, uh, pale completely by competitor. They're just surface level. This is actual heroics from Jameson. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's interesting looking at it now. As a kid, I loved the artwork a lot more than I do now. It's still good, but it's not the same. No, Joe Mad's sense of proportion has increased so much since then. I mean, Paul they, thinks he, I'm crazy. Paul, yeah. Paul says I'm... It's awesome stuff still, guys. You guys are fucking picky bastards. <laughs> no, I still... I, again, I, again. I, uh, coming up will be a panel that I, I, thought, I still think is so good and was so good and made me want to be an artist. But um, I, I, I'm just trying to convey that the man has grown leaps and bounds. He is really oh, improved. Fair enough. And he what? was still a kid. He was still in his 20s drawing this stuff. So, you know, he um, had a lot to, had a lot to grow. I, I want to know how the Prime Sentinels get so huge. Like, they're they're in human beings, but suddenly they're, like, massive, like, eight feet tall, like, constructs. Comics well, probably. they're cyborgs. So it's comics, yeah. Now, I, I really want to know, what is this panel that made you want to be an artist? Uh, how do I find it? I don't have the page numbers. Well, I, I can digitally. Actually, digital comic, I'll tell you what page number. But it's going to be, like, in the hundreds. So uh, does Paul have his digital thing I do, over? Yeah, yeah, he does. Okay, so let me um, let me go to the page. Is it the awesome shot where they're at the bugle and Jameson's got his arms crossed, and you have Bastion kind of next to him with his arm on his shoulder? 
It is absolutely not. So it's uh, page 138. <laughs> All right, stand by. And it's the second panel. One shot I do like is uh, I, I we're not I'm not um Paul's trying to well, find Spider-Man it. jumping with the two Zach 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 with the two laser beams. Really. I love it. I think it looks awesome. I love the jump. Like, you can even see the little speed lines where he leapt up on that angle. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love how his body is flared out. I love how he's included the little web under his arms. I think that, it, you know, the way he's he, he's kind of tucked Spidey's body up and in actually works in terms of proportion for this. He doesn't have an elongated torso. I don't know. It's just very, very cool action shot. And I just I still look at it and, and, and think I'd like to be able to do that. Hmm. Even even the webs that he's drawn across Spidey's body follow the contours like they curve along biceps and and, and the, uh, neck muscles like just he he did a good job on it and maybe he spent only you know ten minutes drawing this but uh, I really really enjoy it and the coloring is great on it too that's true as a kid actually the the page earlier where the web shield is up and uh, oh I love that one too that, that one's good that's a shot now that being said the shield looks great. But the the elongation of the lower end of Spider-Man's torso yes. was not. Yes, that is not good. Um, I like the panel before it as well when he is webbing it up too. When you can see him, yeah, that's really cool to see. Yeah. yeah, you don't see that from Spidey anymore. He doesn't use his webs the way he used to. You know, when, back in the day, um, they were using his webs to create bats and 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 to spoil Johnny's birthday party and parachutes and yeah. everything. Now, there, again, I mean, this is just comics in general. There's always inconsistencies. So you go to, like, the next page, and the Sentinels are just shot through the chest, and they're dead. Yes. Well, because they are cyborgs, right? They're not really – they're not – well, they're not dead because it says they'll be up soon. True. But they're shooting them out because I guess they're, they're part human, part robot. But, like, what kind of shots are – like, these look like giant shotgun shots. But he's well, got, like, a little pistol. No, but you look well, at no, – the cops are loading behind him, right? Oh, uh, I guess – weapons. All right. I guess that's true. I never and really thought about them. And those cops in the background are creepy as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're, they're just... The one guy, you see his eyes, but nothing else. You know, I want to believe that's the Punisher. Well, you know, it could be that Joe was... You know, I gotta speed this page up, so I'm just gonna fill this in. Maybe. I do like that um, Spider-Man, like, throwing marrow into a wall. Yeah. You know, like, he's not always gonna play nice. And she can take it. Absolutely. No, I I still enjoy the issue. Again, the Jameson parts are the best. Yes. Because, again, he is the hero here. Now, I always thought the last panel of him was kind of weird. Just because, like, at the very end of the issue, you have uh, Robertson's putting out the fire on the desk, which... Yeah. Can't Jameson do that himself? Like, he needs Robertson to do it? Jameson's but, too busy fighting for justice. <laughs> It's true, but the last the last uh, picture of uh, Jameson, the way the shading is under his mouth, it always Hitler? just looked like a weird unhappy face. Oh, I thought he looked like Hitler. <laughs> yeah, that too, kind of. The, the mustache doesn't come out enough. No, it doesn't. So it just looks like this weird. It looks like just a big unhappy mark on his face. Mm-hmm. But no, it's still a good issue. And then we go back to Gen X, everybody. I, 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 like I like how he's conflicted though a little bit, right? It's about nothing. Yeah. It's about nothing. This idea that you know. Maybe he's thinking, did I do the wrong thing? Did I, I mean, I don't, I don't trust Bastion, but should I completely have destroyed that disc? Or, you know, I like this idea that he doesn't, it doesn't, it looks like he's not completely sure about what's going on. 
Uh, he's disturbed, right? I, I like that. It, it shows that, the, and again, there should be more. And then there's a stupid little fin at the bottom with Spider-Man winking, which is like, guys, it's, it's not some kind of funny, happy ending here. Yeah, it's a weird decision. Whatever. Uh, then we go back to Gen X, which we're going to breeze right through and by. The cover's funny because like they've regressed all the characters 10 years. And it's an Archie Comics, like in the, the, the Emma and the, and the Banshee <laughs> in the top corner. Right of Archie Comics. Like, it's odd. It's, yeah, it's weird. And then, it's uh, now what's interesting is James Robinson comes on as a writer. He has a different flavor of the book than Lobdell. That being said, not necessarily a great one. And again, it feels like such a hard left. Like, it's supposed to be in the middle of Operation Zero Tolerance, and yet you're at, like, basically, like, what is this? Where are they? Is it Comic-Con? New Orleans, Mardi Gras. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Do you know, Nate? Sorry, I just stepped away. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, I don't, I don't have a pause button. Fair enough. Okay. So what's up? Because we demanded it, Iceman's back. Let's go. Move on. Okay, so we're going. We're gonna go right past the uh, Gen X issue, which basically has them at a street festival and getting attacked by Prime Sentinels. Yeah, yeah, it's boring. It, uh, in the overall scheme of things, they the Gen X had the least kind of impact, I think, overall. And the most issues. Yes, yeah. Well, at least in these collections, uh, then X Men sixty six officially starts Operation Zero Tolerance in the X Men book. With they have the nice little logo uh, of the event on it. It's by Lovedell and Pacheco. Uh, and because he demanded it, as Paul said, the return of Iceman, as we have Cecilia Ray's official new look, because in the previous issue, completely different look for the character, but this is where we first really got... Well, maybe that was her on Thursday, and this is Saturday, and she did her hair different, so just... That's not how comic characters work. There they, you go. They have the same hair every day. Well... And if it's a cartoon, they're wearing the same clothes all the time. I get that, but I'm just trying to, you know... I know. Give you something. It's actually not, in some ways, not a bad issue. I mean, the idea is, like, it starts out kind of nice that you have, like, Reyes is dealing with her regular day. She has a patient on the table. The patient dies. And then it turns out the patient's not dead somehow and is actually a prime sentinel. Like, that's like something out of a horror movie. Like, it's unsettling. Like, what do you think, Nate? Yeah, no, I mean, when you see him climbing off the bed and he's red glowing eyes and his skin's just all kind of like look at it's bursting at the seams with who knows what's under there maybe there's like metal and robotic parts like yeah it's uh it's pretty creepy and you know he use he shoots from his hands his hands kind of explode with its energy that shoot from his fingertips like it's really unnatural uh interesting use of blacks uh and shadows on it um and it's, it's got strong art again the idea of, of using something like this to show like you know the fact that these mutants can find sorry these, these nimrods can find mutants that may not even know they're mutants is cool or maybe don't like want to accept that they're mutants and kind of going after going after these characters and then having Iceman kind of coming to save the day is a cool concept for this storyline that the X-Men are already out so who's who's left to pick up the pieces again I'm impressed by the idea behind it. And maybe the execution fails eventually. But it's, it's kind of a cool idea. Yeah, and also it's a great way to introduce Cecilia as well. Yeah, and the fact that she's a, a mutant with kind of a useless power. Well, it's defensive, but that's it. Like, she can't use it to really do much. Well, they never gave it a chance to do anything else. But no. she's essentially radius. Yeah, that's true. And then Iceman, again, is very cool here. Well, this opening shot of him is awesome. Yeah. I'm one of the X-Men and I'm here to rescue you. Yeah, that's awesome. Come rescue me, please. 
And he also has his own customized word bubbles that are shaped like ice, which I miss. Yes. Does, well, doesn't he still use those? No. Have Not they gotten rid of those? No, Johnny used to have flame bubbles, and yeah. he used to have ice bubbles, and this doesn't... No, no more. That's unfortunate, because, yeah, that's a really cool touch. Iron Man, too. Does he... Iron Man might still have Iron it. Iron Man no, still he does. Iron Man still... Sometimes he does, As but... long as the mask is down, yeah. It's not like it used to be, but it still is different. Okay. They, they kind of got away with it, though, because for a while there, everyone was just like, oh, Gambit's going to have a spade on his. Like, it was just kind of everyone was having something. <laughs> it's a lot of control. But, I mean, at least with Iceman and, 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 and Johnny, it should be. Yeah, and they, they kind of gave, like, what, Wolverine and Marrow kind of had that... I don't rough, know how... To, it was kind uh, of a rougher look to the text. I think the thing also had that for a while, too. Yeah, I think he did. Which and makes then, sense. Yeah, it's and, a bag of rocks talking at you. And then uh, Sue would have hers were kind of invisible, almost. Like, they'd be clear. Yeah. Yeah, too much. It's a little too much, but it was a cool idea. And again, Iceman here is so much cooler than he ever is ever, anywhere else. And even the, the coloring on him is great, except for there's one spot right before he goes down the, the, the ice hole where... For like most of the page, he's bluish, but then he's green just on one panel. Mm. I was bought that always bugged me as a kid. Just a little bit of inconsistency. Oh, they're learning. Yeah, they were learning, and then the I translucency through the ice slide. That's this is kind of one of the first times you'd ever see that. Like every other time, you'd see them just coloring it white and blue, but a lot of just shots are just translucent. So maybe it's because the wall behind him is green, mm. and you're seeing through him. There, explained. I get my no prize. Absolutely, <laughs> and and I also like seeing him like wearing his like that that costume which he almost never wears. Yeah. Like, isn't that like what he wore in the? Blue. Isn't that what he wore in the animated series? It is. Like, it's a cool look. Video games, too. But he never wears yep. this. <laughs> like, he generally just wears, like... B- like. Well, later on, we'll see him in a speedo, yeah, right? Yeah, he just wears briefs later. Yeah, that's stupid. It is quite dumb. I want to see superheroes in superhero costumes. Uh, at the end of the issue, you have, you know, Xavier seeing a hologram of all the X-Men kind of captured. Again, it was cool to see at the time. Again, now we've done this before. Again, as a kid... I, this was my, like, my, I'm what, my second major X-Men crossover? This was still new to me. This was still exciting. I, I, now I've, you know, I've been reading comics for a long time now, almost 20 years. It's, I'm, I, maybe I've just become so jaded because I've seen it all. Poor Storm, though. She's still wrapped up. <laughs> That's true, eh? How is she alive right now? I don't know. Like, is there air in there? Or is she, is she dead? Yeah, she's dead. And we get Wolverine 115. Look at that cover. Now, is this the first issue where Wolverine stopped being so savage? Kinda. I uh, think uh, it might have been. Wolverine started to... Sorry? You mean Wolverine in his own series? The first time he appears non-savage? Cause yeah, when he gets his nose question. back and he's not quite as barbaric since Could Genesis. Be, yeah. If not, it's around here. Yeah, it's, I think it's very close to this. Because, I mean, this is really close to Onslaught, and Onslaught he was still feral. Yeah. And I kept that for a bit in his own book for a while, but I think this was, if not the first, maybe the third at best. Yeah. yeah. It's like they just decided. Now, one thing I do miss having, and I don't know, is it in your digital copies or not? I don't think it is. That every comic from this particular month had the featuring your new guide to the Marvel Universe. Yeah. And I loved that as a kid. Now, it was not really... Because it was... No. It, it, part of it? It's not it? Because uh, at the time, it was kind of like watching a TV show and being like previously and they would just, you know how like when they do that and they only show you the bits that are going to matter to the episode you're about to watch even if it was like three years ago 
<laughs> that's kind of what this was like. It would show you pieces of the yeah. history that would somehow matter to what you're about to see. It would be a fold-out thing, right? It was a fold-out thing. Yeah. Originally it was a fold-out. Eventually it would just be a one-page. But I always thought that was cool. And it would kind of tell you who the characters were that were going to be in the issue you were going to read. Great idea. I mean, now we have those recap pages, which kind of are, you know, sometimes they're really helpful. Sometimes they're not, depending on who's writing them. But uh, I do kind of miss that guide to the Marvel Universe. Because as a kid, I was at the prime age to love that. Because it gave me a sense of what came before. I got to see like kind of clips of it, panels of it, and it introduced me to characters I may not know otherwise. I don't know if this is like complaining too much. Well, Paul will tell me it is, but um, you know, th- when the foldout was would would bend, it never quite reached the end of the comic. To you know what I mean, like the full width yes. of the comic, yeah. it always stopped short. And I always, I don't know, I never really liked that. It's a stupid thing. But just as a collector of comics, I always wanted to make sure everything was in its best condition. And so it always exposed the other, the interior pages to, like, extra folding or rough. Like, it's just, I, it was such a stupid little thing. But that's something that I, I, I annoyed me. Did nothing else? No one else felt that? No? Uh, no. Yeah, no, I get that. I, I, I thought it, was, it made it easier to flip it open. It did. But I just also meant that it just made it feel like it wasn't completely protected you know yeah no i understand that so i i really don't actually like these wolverine issues um really no not really i just feel like they take so long to get to the point okay well that's the 90s well yes it is but like i felt like if you read the x-men issues there's a lot more kind of kind of kind of going on like whereas here it just feels like we're we're seeing just kind of one kind of day and it just... well, there's a lot of child abuse going on here. Like every time you see Bastion interact with Jubilee, he hits her. And this one, he hit, he beats the crap out of her. Yeah, no, it's true. It's, a, it's excessive violence on these children. That's terrible. By a robot, like like it's not even like it's like it's something that's a- absolutely going to win. Like it, there's no way. Yeah. Like it's ridiculous. Uh, now, what do you think? So this is still when Wolverine was written by Larry Hama. I believe Ellis would come on shortly thereafter, and it's written and vastly and... improved the book. And artwork by Lionel Francis Yu, it's so rough Yu work. Yeah. Like, it's extremely rough. He's also another artist who has grown in leaps and bounds. Actually, great. I think Lionel Yu has become a greater artist than Joe Mad. I, I really like him now. Wow, that's a big, big thing to say. Yeah, well, I, just in terms of storytelling, I, I still think Joe is prettier. Mm. But um, I mean, even reading his Marvel Now Hulk book, I really enjoyed that. And his work on Infinity was really good. Lionel Francis U. No, it's true. Uh, so this issue, again, I get, it's a curse of the 90s. It just take, it, It's not a bad idea. You know, the X-Men have been captured, now they have to escape. It just feels like we spent a lot of time... It, it feels decompressed. Why did they ever take the shackles off Wolverine? <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> they thought he was dead. Clearly they read the Xavier Protocols carefully enough. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, but they thought they he was need dead. To get some more of these Nimrod Sentinels in here who can actually yeah, tell people things a, like a hot smoking pool that a man seemed to spill on him. Yes, kill him properly. Oh, and Storm says she needs to go outside for a bit to stretch because she's really cramped. Let's do that too. Oh no, lightning! <laughs> and her breasts are ridiculousness. Yeah, she's well. Lionel U has a problem with memories. <laughs> Lionel does not know how to draw different sizes. Nope. One size fits all. <laughs> uh, the next I have is X Four sixty eight. Again, I'm not even gonna bother. Plus, Warpath Ventures into the unknown. Ooh, exciting! Yeah, I, I was just Look never. Look at this 
butt shot of Moonstar right to launch so that terrible. arrow. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is so happening? exploitative. Now, who does the artwork? Pop Man? I don't even know who that is. Who, who's this chick in the red? Wearing the bikini here and the leggings. Who is that? I don't know. Next to Moonstar on the left. I, I, what oh, is it's that? Dragoness. Who the hell is that? I don't know. Like, no. Was she an overpower? Was she a... a <laughs> A 90s no, trading card? Because no. I have no idea who these people I mean, are. obviously all that really matters here is that it's more Prime Sentinels up against X-Force and X-Force having to kind of, what, team up with but the... who is this X-Force? Who is this? The MLF and... It's who's Humpty Dumpty over here on this page? I don't know. This is a weird fat guy. <laughs> it's like Mojo meets Humpty Dumpty. There's a remote control. Lots of shots of this one Bastion soldier in her skin-tight suit showing off her body. Like, it's just useless, useless stuff. Like, again... If if it's I, a ball girl cigar, what is happening? If I had to say like the important issues of Operation Zero Tolerance, I would not include Generation X really or X Force. Or cable. Hmm. Uh, cable, I think is better. It, well, it, there's more Bastion, but more Bastion <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean good. But I no, like this the, is good cable stuff, though, Nate. This is cable with guns and his scimitar and kick it ass, take names. Now this, it's definitely more scimitar than guns at this point. So it's fine. Written, I'll take it though. It's written by James Robinson, who again had just written, started writing Gen X at this time. Randy Green on artwork on this first issue of um, Cable that I'm flipping through now, which is what issue of Cable is this? Forty uh, something, forty five. Um, I, I actually, I, I actually, I'm a big fan of Randy Green, but uh, not from this. Like, I think he's much stronger in Witchblade. That that is true because this is very early and it's kind of rough, and at times it's not quite that polished. I think the inking could have been a little bit tighter. Um, but again, I like the idea that you have Cable's the last line of defense for the X Mansion, and he's going to go in. He's going to first of all protect Caliban so that Caliban doesn't die, and then he's also going to try and kind of protect the the computers and all the files and that's a good idea i mean and the idea of you have it's basically under siege let's be honest like he is uh what's his name steven seagal <laughs> and i guess caliban is is uh i don't know what's her name from baywatch but erica leniak like they're the only ones at the mansion there's this entire mil- paramilitary force on on the ground they have to do everything they, everything they can to stop them that's cool it's a soldier key i love it Awesome stuff. It's incredible how much Duncan Rouleau looks like Randy. Uh, looks like Green at this point. I would say that you're right there. Yes. Very similar style at this point. It's interesting looking at some of the designs on the uh, the foot soldiers because at times they just look like Deadpool's. Yeah, they look Kinda, like Deadpool's yeah. mixed with the Department H armor. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Actually, that's exactly what it looks like. Babe. That's I couldn't have put that better myself. I wonder if Duncan Rouleau actually came in here and said, "This is what we're doing." <laughs> Maybe. Like, I did some designs from Department H. You can copy these because it's easier than doing your own. He's like, Randy's like, done. Now, if we go to the next one, the next issue is Cable 46 where it's Target Bastion. Target Bastion. Which yeah. I believe the cover is by Jose Ladron, who has a very kind of Jack Kirby-ish, Kirby-ish feel to Cable, especially when he illustrated the book later on. It's also got some Romita in there. Again, again Romita is very after um, Kirby anyway, so... Absolutely. So uh, Randy Green continues pencils here, although it's also got Stephen Harris and the Diodato Studio. Uh oh, that's trouble. <laughs> uh oh, already Randy is struggling to do backgrounds, and Diodato Studio just didn't do any backgrounds <laughs> in the nineties. No, 
Yeah, the arc gets a lot rougher here. The first issue, I think Randy Green did a really good job here. It looks like he's rushed, and yeah. the assist he gets from the other artists is not that helpful. It's weird how there's no consistent artist for at least like three issues of the book. No, not at all. Weird. But again, the story here, I think, is a solid one. And I know that, Nate, you didn't really like it that much, but I think... Well, I mean, it's, it is better than X-Force, and it's better than Gen X, yes. And I feel like it matters, like, more than the others, like... Kind of. Nothing really happens. Nothing's resolved. Well, isn't there something resolved? Isn't, doesn't no. he end up achieving part of his goal? Which is what? To kill? To kill? It's either kill or not kill. You don't sort of kill Bastion. Okay, but he does pr- protect the data. Okay. That's... Which... That, but it doesn't matter, though, because he's already gone and accessed the computers anyway. But he hasn't... Yeah, I guess so. But he hadn't he hadn't, he hadn't deciphered it, and he wouldn't okay. necessarily well, have... Like, but he doesn't need to, because he already captured the X-Men, as you pointed out already. <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't... He needs the files in the Mutant Underground to get the rest. No, but, I mean, their files are still destroyed. Like, they, you know, they, their computer banks are still burnt after this. True. Now, we have a nice tie-in to uh, Nate Gray here. So he reaches out to Nate Gray telepathically, waking him up. And uh, basically giving him a job to uh, what, protect Jean Grey's family. <laughs> it's kind of a weird t- way to tie in X Men, but to be honest, kind of a natural way in some ways. That because instead of Nate Grey just kind of walking around wherever he was at this time and then getting attacked by Sentinels, instead he actually actively gets involved in protecting people because of their connection to Jean Grey and the fact that Bastion's on the warpath for anyone related to the X Men. So I, I do like the way that they tie in X-Men. And we learn a few things about X-Men. We learn that he's still sleeping on a couch. <laughs> yep. And uh, he doesn't wear PJs. Nope, he is shirtless at least. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. I do like seeing Soldier Cable. And the last page of this issue is that probably one of the strongest in the issue. Where you have the, that weird green smoke, but then you have Bastion looking like a badass. <laughs> he, is, he looks cool. Do you disagree? Okay. Uh, I, I don't think the design on, on, on uh, Bastion, his design of his costume and his little wisps of soul patch have ever made him look yeah. like he could be cool. Like, you know, he's not... A, like, Doctor Doom can be drawn to look stupid or cool because his costume, his original design was so strong. I don't... I, don't ever, I never thought that Bastion looked cool. I don't think he can be drawn in a way that looks cool. But, I mean, that's fine that the Dio Dada Studio pulled that off, I guess, to an extent. <laughs> Yeah, because it doesn't look like anything by Randy Green. It's not Randy, yeah. Then we have issue 47 of Cable, uh, where now we don't even have Randy Green, we lost him. Mm-hmm. Where we have layouts by Bob Rob Haynes, who I've never heard of. And then you got finished art by Scott Hanna. So it's a, it's a rough collaboration. That being is it, said... Is they, it Larry's brother? I'm not sure. I don't know. But like oh. that, that first page of the issue, though, is actually pretty strong, considering it's... Two fill-in artists. <laughs> well, that's as best as it gets in the whole issue. I think. It is the best it gets, but again, I the cable stuff I still like. I mean, again, I probably read it when I was maybe I don't know seventeen, eighteen. Like it was a few years later, but I still think it was a, a, a strong concept. The art, unfortunately, doesn't sell it that well. But again, I like the idea behind what Cable's doing here. And again, I like seeing Cable acting as this this you know man with a mission. He's best when he has a mission. When Cable has no mission, he's a terrible version of a character. He needs to have something driving him. That's what Cable's all about. Kicking ass, taking names, really big guns and pouches. And still... Well, if you look at the issue, there's lots of talking. Is Cable about talking, too? Sometimes. (laughs) 
But there's also like Cable pushing his limits of his powers because he has to, you know, keep the virus in check, the, which is his 90s cross to bear. He's dealing with the techno-organic virus. He's trying to mentally control all these foot soldiers. He's bleeding out the nose. Like I, I, I like that aspect of kind of push of the character pushing himself to be able to achieve his mission. And then, well, if you don't want to talk about that, we can go right to X-Force 69, featuring The Vanisher. <laughs> no, we well, let's go back to Cable then. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's, this isn't good. Like, again, it's Adam Polina on art, and Adam Polina, I just do not like his take on the characters, and, uh, again, it feels like the most useless... I mean, like, what, um, what Paul was saying earlier about that weird Wolverine rip-off kind of weird hairstyle character in X-Force... That character design kind of comes back in the way that he illustrates Vanisher just without hair. Like, it's just something about his style of portraying characters is so poor. Maybe just in this period, because maybe he's better elsewhere. I just, I cannot stand his artwork. And everyone looks super lanky and, like, like um, anorexic or, like, like they're just going to keel over of, of malnutrition. So let's talk about Wolverine 116. Pardon me? Yeah, no, whatever. Go ahead, let's go. Wolverine, <laughs> Wolverine 116, the secret of the Prime Sentinels. Don't we kind of know the secret by this point? Yes. Uh, more Hama and you. You, again, each issue, I feel like he does get stronger. Yeah, this one's particularly a lot stronger in this era. Very good. And I think a part of it, and this is going to sound stupid, but even though the background is basically just black with some white splotches for, for stars... It gives it a nice ambient tone. Yeah, and, and he, he does what he can with it. I mean, he's, he's drawing buildings when he can, and when the angle switches down so the camera's looking up, there's Starscape. I mean, he, he, he gives a sense of place wherever he is. I know where they are. There's never a shot where I'm just wondering, why is it a blank canvas? There's something there. And mm. there's a horizon line. Yeah. And and then it's this is kind of a, like a sadder issue because they, they end up teaming up with this guy who ends up being a Sentinel. Yeah, yeah. This this one feels in tone like a Warren Ellis story. Yes, it does. Now, and, and again, it's kind of weird that you have the X-Men book feeling more fast-paced at this point, and this is a lot more slower-paced. Very with, slow, yes. With the X-Men just kind of, kind of strolling along, just trying to evade capture. Yeah, they don't really seem as, as freaked out or as moved to action as they do in like everything else the X-Men do. The X-Men, we you saw the cartoon. They're about running <laughs> and about running across horizon lines and running at people and shooting fences and running through the fences. Not Nothing like that here. They're just kind of sitting in what is almost a concentration camp and chatting by a fire. It's weird. It is weird. Uh, next up is Gen X 30, which, again, Paul was mentioning earlier that some of the Bachalo covers really de-age characters and this is Emma Frost on the cover looking like Paige Guthrie yeah like like the younger version of Paige Guthrie when they like had her dating Archangel and they made her look super young that's what she looks like here like that's not Emma Frost at all no like Bacallo just at times is just not right and even again the the Archie feel that you mentioned in the upper left hand corner of the issue with the, the kind of the box where you have uh, Banshee and uh, Emma Frost's faces it looks like he's her dad like they're not that different in age really no. interesting uh, anyways it's, it's... you might have been just trying something different at the time who knows but... yeah and uh, this issue again feels a lot less like there's a lot less Operation Zero Tolerance really going on I, yeah, I, they, yeah. I know it people exists. really liked Gen X when it, like some people really liked Gen X and I think 
our, our good friend of the show, Tom Kerr, was a big fan of Gen X. I, I want to know why. <laughs> like, maybe it's one of those things where if you, you can't really go back to it. Maybe it was just amazing at the time. I don't know. Maybe it was. And maybe, like, I, I just missed it. Like, maybe if I'd read it with the issue one and I'd followed that group and they were my X-Men, like my younger team of X-Men, then maybe it would really would have spoken to me. I kind of wish that I could have had that experience. Well, I mean, most of the things that we say that are kind about many of the things we read in the 90s, anyone else would just kind of go, yep, you guys are, it's all nostalgia goggles, which probably it is for the most part. Well, and I, but I don't think we're afraid to admit that either. No, but it just doesn't mean we're, mean we're right about the quality. <laughs> no. Gen X 31, uh, I, this, is, this is what I do miss about comics, even though it's also it's kind of wrong at times. You've waited, you've wondered, now you won't believe... The Secret of M. Wow. Like, I, I kind of miss the idea of, like, there's a, a showman quality there. Like, come read our book. This is, you know, this over-the-top narration. Like, they, the covers used to mean something. They used to yeah. be some but, sort but of... Again, a... how many times they throw stuff like that on there and it's not worth it. We, oh, absolutely. We beginning. Oh, the... Unleashed. There's nothing to do with Unleashed. Even, <laughs> even all new X-Men um, recently had a thing where... Um, Iceman's on the cover, and he he's gonna lash out. Yeah, and he did nothing that entire issue. No, was he even in it? Maybe for a panel. It was <laughs> terrible. Like, yeah, what? it's it's the ringmaster. You gotta psych up the audience. You gotta promise them things, the sights they've never seen. You've got to shill and get those butts in the seats, and it's that Stanley kind of you know over the top the hands showmanship of these Sentinels are bigger than. <laughs> So we're looking at, uh, what was this, Gen X 31, the, the big splash page, Nate. And Paul is making fun of the fact that, first of all, the Sentinels are ridiculously large in size, like juggernaut size. Yeah. Their hands their are bigger than... are bigger than the characters. Big, bigger, than, down. bigger than the characters they're hunting. And it's just like, what is happening? Well, how else could they be unleashed and be on the verge of extinction <laughs> and never be the same? And you won't believe your eyes and survive the experience if they weren't... All new, all different... Yeah. Oh. I'll do all different. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Uh, if you are you guys okay if I just kind of pass this yeah, by? Yeah, yeah. I already have. I'm on that spend sixty seven. We're on the verge of extinction. And then Daria like saves Jubilee, who looks like a five year old there. Like, like she looks like a young little child. She's a little Spanish girl on that. Like the color's all off on that. Yeah. The only thing I do like about this issue, and I don't know why this was happening, but they have shots of sync, and they have this kind of weird. Multicolor emanation from him. I like that. I don't know why. Like the colors speak to me, and it's a very like nineties. Color blind has to speak to you. Shut up. <laughs> it's a very nineties color blast. I, d- I didn't say what colors they were, just that it was color. <laughs> don't quiz me on the colors, then I'll fail. But anyways, uh, and I guess this is where we find out that what this M split in the two here. <laughs> The, the whole Penance M storyline I'll never quite understand. And I guess uh, Bacalo, I think, leaves after this, right? So Who does he? I, someone does. Well, it says at the end, I'd like to dedicate my work on the series to my wife, Helen. I couldn't have done it without you. Makes it sound like he's leaving. Or someone's leaving. I don't know who that is. You still with us? Yeah, I'm, I just don't know the answer, so I'm waiting to see if you do. I do not. Okay, okay. X, X-Men 67. Let's uh, back to the main X-Book. So, On the Verge of Extinction. Did you just say this? I did, yes. Did you know this was coming? Yes. Okay, good. 
because that would have been very prescient of you. Um, now, what I like, first on that first panel, doesn't this feel so dated, this old Mac? Yeah, it does, but uh, we still have the, the, the status bar, at least, and, and at least the, the, the main idea of Windows or the operating system of opening these sub Apple. still. <laughs> like, it's not, it's not that bad, actually. No. I do, um, actually, uh, Paul just mentioned uh, that this looks like Maria Hill. A little bit, yeah, sure. But, but, but Sabra has more eyebrow. <laughs> she definitely does. It's such a great shot, though. Yeah, it's 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 really well, uh, very nice symmetry of the face and Whoa. the hair. I mean, Pacheco's a very good hair guy, so I really appreciate uh, those little small touches that he brings. I don't know what happened to Pacheco because I don't think he's ever been as strong as he was in these issues. To be honest, well, I, again, his his magnum opus is still Avengers Forever. Absolutely. And what were you just going to say, Paul? Are, are you uh, talking about uh, what happens when she punches this, through the... This, this crotch shot right here is unbelievable. What's happening here? Yeah, there's a crotch shot where Sabra does like a, a, a leg kick. Uh, at, at, who is she kicking, by the way? She, well, she's just yeah. kicking this guy out the window. Right? Oh, she, so. okay, she, she just kicks someone. Yeah. Then she punches through the vehicle, grabs into the ground, is able to then rip herself out of the vehicle. And now it's half naked. And now she's half naked. I didn't know what her. I didn't know she could do any of those things. I didn't even know who Sabra was before I read this. Yes, I, I still don't know who she is, and I've read this. <laughs> <laughs> this was my first, the first time I ever saw Sabra as a character. I've read her in other places, uh, like Incredible Hulk and other comics since then. But this is my first introduction to the character, and I, I don't really know what she still does. All I know is that she's Jewish. She works for the Israeli government, yeah. and she's a mutant. That's all I. Did ever you know, know that she's Jewish because she wears the Star of David around her neck? No, I think uh, I read this entire thing in Hebrew. I think that's what it was. <laughs> um, the next issue we have, what, uh, Cecilia Reyes and uh, Robbie what, going to his his safe house. Robbie? Who's Robbie? Bobby, sorry. Bobby. Bobby. My bad. Uh, and again, I like that there's like problems here that even though Cecilia Reyes just got protect, uh, you know, saved by Iceman, she's still so pissed off. And they kind of just made her this like a very stereotypical just angry black character at the beginning did you felt that way at yeah, all for sure i also felt though that as an ingenue she's just kind of freaked out and and that is typical to be really adversarial when you're just like you, you see this all the time i don't want to be here this isn't my world i'm not one of you yes you are you're a mutant come be with us no get away from me like that whole thing is is, is also kind of typical of the of the freaked out mm. new character mm. Um, I don't know why she has to wear the shortiest skirt in the world on the run, but I guess you want to be limber and free to move when you're on run from Sentinels. <laughs> I guess that's probably true. Or Pacheco was just like, hey, you know what? Um, I've been drawing for a long time and I'm a little lonely here, so I'm going to give myself something to do. Maybe. I do like the coloring a lot in this issue. Um, but again, when Iceman powers down at one point, why is he just wearing briefs? Well... Because in the previous issue, he had his full co- under costume on. Yeah. He entered the home fully clothed. Yes. Ice is up, and then the ice is in his speedo. So yes, I. I Look, they know. gave us some Sabra action, so they got to give some for the other people who aren't as titillated by Sabra. And, and now, once again, it, it really felt like everyone was going to be a Sentinel. Like Candy Southern's ex roommate, who's house sitting, turns into a Sentinel. Like really, come on. Now, I, uh, who do you trust? At the time, I didn't know who Charlotte Jones was, but I was like, badass, this is some cool character. She's yeah. been around. 
you know, seeing uh, these images again of the Sentinels like taking over and almost overheating people's bodies and blending and you know destroying their flesh also reminds me of um, Fraction's Iron Man. Yeah. With the new extremist kind of uh, installed in people's bodies, like the, as 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 almost nuclear bombs in in a, in a person's body. Was it Fractions or Gillens? Uh, wasn't it Fraction? Then Gillen continued that. Oh, you're right. Actually, it's a, it's a bit of both. It does remind me of that the horrifying idea of being in these implants that that can burn through your body just really creeps me out. Now the issue is cool because like you have uh, Cecilia and uh, and Bobby under protection of Charlotte Jones, but then all these cops who are actually Prime Sentinels. They're very they they're very worried, and then uh, at the end of the issue kind of marrows there. It's so '90s. This is her dialogue. Come on, Jean joke. One cop or one thousand. It makes no difference to me. You humans started this, and the mutant called Marrow is gonna finish it. No dun, one dun, thinks dun. like that. <laughs> Who thinks that? And then, again, the next issue, it says, Next, Marrow. Is she the X-Men's salvation or doom? Plus, Senator Killy thinks big. That sounds like a freaking, uh, like, a, like a sitcom. There were, there were a lot of kids who were really excited uh, on that announcement that Senator <laughs> Killy would think big this time. <laughs> I was really worried that he would think medium to mediocre, perhaps. <laughs> or think I small, think you know, that, that'd, be, yeah. that'd be the worst. Um, then uh, X-Men 68 continues. Now we have a new writer jumping on as Lobdell has moved yes. only on the plots. And the script is by Steve Siegel, who will soon shepherd the book uh, moving forward. The guest pencils, so after having such amazing Pacheco artwork for, what, issues 65? We, we are subjected to early Pascal Ferry. And I don't like, actually, to be honest, I probably prefer his, his uh, old stuff here than his newer stuff. I do not like his art these it days looks at all. So much like Peterson. As as I go through this, I see a lot of Peterson. I don't know why, but it it, it really does. Now this but is she... this is one of the first times where we actually get to see more of what's happening with the government. Like that had like it's been month like a couple months in. There's been no mention of what's actually going on with the government. Well, we're, fi- we're in the third act almost at this point, aren't we? Yeah, we're almost at the end, and finally Robert Kelly is like, "We've got a problem." Yeah, you got a big fucking problem. You're like, <laughs> your your citizens are being targeted by this these mutant hunters. Like it's crazy. Um, now there is an awesome shot of I don't know what page this is in the digital version of Iceman throwing like an ice spear at someone. I don't know if you can see that, yes, mate. I got it. Yep. The art on that page I really enjoyed. Just like the shot of that, and then the page after the awesome giant ice slide. I think a lot of this is still saved by the colors. Absolutely, it's absolutely by the colors. It's not the pencils themselves. Because Pascal is just not... But then not. he's gone too far. But then he goes too far because in a couple pages you have this weird... Like, the kind of, hulked out... The hulked out version of Iceman. Which, to be honest, if you were trying to scare people and saying, Hear me, Sentinels, you've gone too far. You hear me? I'd probably want to pump myself up like that too. True, but they show the panel of him buffing up, but as you continue on, he doesn't ever do anything with it. Nope, does nothing. He's back to being normal. Right. So. Story of his life. And then, and then, so like the three of them are trying to get out of the police station. They meet up with Marrow, and then like Marrow and Cecilia Reyes are at odds. Why not? And then they're just trying to escape. And then some Sentinels show up at the end of the issue. It's kind of like Jesus again. Not just some Sentinels, all of them. It's like a <laughs> huge army. 
Yes. Uh, well, it's a, it's a bunch of Sentinels, and then, yeah, then you have these future... Instead of having the paramilitary guys that were at the X-Mansion, yes. it's now this completely new subsection. Yes, with, like, a head and one eye. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What are these? Are they, I don't um, think you ever see them again. Are these the Builders? <laughs> yeah, right, eh? From, from the current Hickman Avengers? That's what they look like. And then, uh, and then we'll, we'll go back to Wolverine. At long last, Jubilee! Yeah. All right. Why not? At least you get more UART. Yeah. Yeah, more Which actually is not good. Not anywhere near as good as the last issue. No. No. It's rushed here, clearly. It's much more rushed. It's just, it's, yeah. The the previous issue was so solid, and this issue just looks like he, he he looks like he pulled a John Romita Jr. You know, like, he had time for one issue, and then he was like, fuck it. I I have a deadline. I I gotta do this. But again, at least we get to see the horror, almost like Terminator style, of, of the robot underneath, right? This machine human that's not really human is just a facade that it's skin torn off, and you can see its hair ripped out, and the machine underneath, like just the eyeball bulging out. It's just, mm. it's quite horrifying. It is. No, absolutely. It's, and it's nice to kind of see Jubilee back with the X-Men, because at this point, Jubilee's just been on her own, like being like beaten up by Bastion every issue. Like, yeah. it's kind of brutal what they put her through, but she she never has PTSD, from what I can tell. Like, she's fine. That's too bad. Yeah, a lot of these things that would be more interesting to explore, like her her frame of mind after this, uh, again, even the ethical questions of what is going on with these augmented humans, never really explored, which it, this is a lot of wasted time that could have been perfect for exploring these some of these scientific uh, science fiction ideas and character different moments, which... Again, wasn't a priority in the '90s. It was more Flash. Now, the end of the issue ends with a, a classic thing they did a lot in the '90s, where they ended it with a nice William Blake quote to add some more gravitas. And then, uh, and then we have like this this guy they befriended in the previous issue turns into a Sentinel and turns on the on the X Men. Now, the next issue we have in the collection, I think it's in your digital one, X Men Thirty. Yes, some beautiful Roger Cruz artwork. Yeah, I'm kind of an apologist for Roger Cruz. I I, I, I like him. I don't look always at, look love at that him, first page like though. Like it's like a woman caressing Nate Gray's chest. It looks like she's about to like undo her top. Like what is going on? Well, I think that's I think that's Carrie Nord's art at the beginning. Is it? Yeah, because the, oh, the, you're right. It doesn't look like him, and she, you know, uh, Cray. It's Cray. Carrie. Yeah, Carrie is is credited. Yeah, it's Carrie Nord, Roger Cruz on pencils, and then you have Tara Cavanaugh writing. Um, I feel like like the the beginning of the issue is very scattershot. The issue really picks up when it becomes about Nate Gray having to go protect, you know, uh, Jean Gray's what is going on? Uh, Jean Gray's family from Prime Sentinels. Although I don't know, I, I don't know what page this is, Nate, and I apologize. It's like five or six pages in. There's a shot of Nate Gray, and he looks like he's like blinged out as some weird like 90s hipster yeah like what is going on here i don't know like he's chilling on that couch with no shirt on and no it's later than that coming to see him. later than that though like there's a shot of like he takes down some sentinels and he's like wearing like a cross and like some other weird you know necklace and his hair is all like out in his face he's wearing like sunglasses oh it's, yeah i see that it's yeah it's like terrible uh george michael from uh from, <laughs> from faith or something yeah Absolutely. He's got to have faith, man. Like, it's... Yeah, and then when he goes to protect the children, like... I wouldn't go with this guy. Well, 
it's like Roger Cruz. They said, Roger, draw him looking cool. And Roger's like, I don't know if he actually is from Central South America, but uh, his name is, so let's pretend it. Like, well, you know, this is really cool in Panama, so I'm going to draw that, you know? Maybe, because that's you know, what it looks the, like. Because the 80s just hit Panama, so they're like, this is what we're going to do. Basically. it's uh, Yeah, it, the idea of the issue is, isn't bad. I just... The execution again. That's a, a, a lot of the problems with a lot of this stuff. Is just the execution fails. Mm-hmm. Then we got X Men sixty nine, which is more or less the conclusion, although not quite. Uh, it's the conclusion of Operation Zero Tolerance, but then it leaves them a bit of a kind of not a cliffhanger, but it leads into a status quo change with number seventy. So this issue, I think, is still plotted by Lovedell. Yeah. What is Bastion grabbing on the cover? On the Bastion, on the ba- on the cover oh, is grabbing bones. a giant okay. bone spike coming out of marrow. It's hideous, yeah. but that shot of, of Iceman is quite sweet. Yes, although he's pulling an, an um, kind of a Nightcrawler meets Spider-Man pose on his ice sled. Very brittle looking ice sled. Yeah, maybe she could put a little supporting post under that or something. That might help. Well, the um, opening shot. The opening shot is great too. Yeah. Uh, so it's written written by Lobdell. Pacheco and LaRocca on pencils. So who do, who even knows? I love this traveling sequence. I again, it doesn't make a lot of sense because how is it hovering in midair over miles? But I I love that he's constructed like a seat for for um, Rays, and that you know Mero is taking a moment to like just stoop down and play with the water. Like I love little details like that of things that people might actually do if they're doing something as mundane as traveling. And I know this isn't a mundane way to travel, but. I just I love that when when artists get playful and creative with stuff like this is one of the reasons why I love Clay Mad so much. He's always all his characters have something to do in the shot. They're not just standing around. Hmm. Now, I but I remember reading this as a kid and being like, what, "Didn't we just leave off in a massive fight sequence?" And then it's yeah, like a, and then it's like a flash a flashback where they basically like a, a building falls on everyone and then they just take off. Like it's yep. super stupid. It, yes, it is. Uh, considering like all the buildup and how like the last issue they escape from these sentinels and then walk into a whole squad of sentinels like you'd think you'd get something big out of that instead a building gets dropped in them but by, by I guess Sabra and Sabra helps defend them and then it's like they plotted it out and said look we only have 22 pages we don't have time to finish <laughs> off so we'll do it the easy way out we'll just kind of cop out now Paul just mentioned that like there's shots of Sabra where you see, you see her hair and then she's wearing like the hood, and then One she's panel, not. And, that, and then the next panel, she's not wearing the hood, and then she's wearing like, yeah, it's just weird. And it, does she really need to be wearing a giant star of David on her costume? I like the hood, though. I mean, I, I do too, I, but she doesn't wear it very often. Yeah, she looks cool in the hood. Does she need the star of David? Uh, well, it's. I mean, she's wearing an Israeli flag. That's what she's doing. That's yeah. That's the flag of Israel. So, I mean, part of the Israeli flag is that symbol. True. Well, I guess so in that like, context, yeah. Yeah, it's like Captain America wearing his stars and his stripes. Like that's that's part of the costume, so I'm okay with it. Now, I think even as a kid, this is this issue is when I first realized, oh, they're just trying to make Marrow the new Wolverine. Like I didn't really care or really connect it until you have this shot of Marrow, I guess, jumping into the water and finding a Prime Sentinel in the water and like gutting him, and that just felt like a very uh, Wolverine thing to do. You know, but yeah, but you know what? In this era, it really it did work for me. I, I especially when that that wonderful issue where she stabs Wolverine in the throat, and he goes feral and almost kills her, and they're having this whole like mm. head to head. That was awesome. She, she really, yeah, she pulls off some street cred in this. And 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 again, when she's first introduced in Uncanny X Men way back, well, not even way back. Well, I guess way back now. 
Um, a couple years really earlier. A dark, she's a dark, vicious, violent character, and she has anger issues. So I've, I've always I, – I, up to that point, I really didn't buy it. I really didn't feel like this – I remember saying to someone at my comic store, like, she's kind of like the new Wolverine, and I'm really digging it. I really like her. They totally – you know, fall on it. They don't. They they fail to do so later on. But at this moment, I believe that. Absolutely. Well, I I would agree. At uh, at the time, I really thought that she was going to kind of be that new cool Wolverine character because Wolverine had already softened a bit. I mean, now he's super soft. But I mean, at the time, like seeing uh, like she was a younger Wolverine, like the same character he was, really rough around the edges, angry, prone to rage, which is wanting to kill people and 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 take revenge like that was a, a cool element to kind of bring back and the idea that you said that the, the X-Men kind of wouldn't be the same after this part of it's because you had a character like Mero as part of the team you had mm-hmm. you had Cecilia Reyes who didn't want to be there at all you had Maggie who freaked out everyone and then you have Mero who freaked out everyone and scared everyone so that's what kind of brought the shift on because you bring these three new main characters that are very different from what you'd had in the X-Men at that point in time and she had that great room in the basement, and then she would always would write on her door about like this way to a dark enter. ride. Yeah, this way to a dark ride, stuff like that. Like I really, I, that was really cool. They were playing with something new, and it wasn't, it was, it didn't feel like she was a a, des- a costume design that someone had doodled. Like Maggot felt like Joe Mad was doodling in his sketch pad, and said, "Well, I drew this guy who has maggots," and Lovedell <laughs> was like, "Okay, put that in the book." Kind of, yeah. felt like part of it. She was. She was part of Gene Nation. She was a part of a story about a movement about angry, embittered, and violent Morlocks. And you're like, okay, I can absolutely see how being disenfranchised and treated like trash your entire life would make you feel that way. And so she came from something I felt as more organic. I don't know why Ray's was ever put in. I don't really understand it. I don't Not know. only did she feel like she didn't want to be on the team, but the writers felt like she shouldn't be on the team. She was never on the team, though. She was... Never. She's, she's credited as being an X Men in certain like um, encyclopedias, so I don't know what to do with that. Now this issue, as a kid, I felt I, I actually always felt it was a little bit rushed. Looking at it now, I kind of wish that the whole status quo of kind of forcing the X Men to go more underground, having them be on the run, would have been kind of a cool setup for just a backdrop for stories, as opposed to being a, a storyline that had to be that had to have a culmination. Because, like, you had to kind of... They had to resolve this, so they had to have Bastion kind of taken down, kind of by Iceman, but really it's the the fact that S.H.I.E.L.D. and the government decides to shut down Operation Zero Tolerance. That's what saves the day. The real hero of the story... uh, Obviously, Jameson was a hero of his own issue, but the real hero here is Peter Gyrick and Kelly for reversing the decision and getting the government to stop the program. If not for them stopping the program and getting S.H.I.E.L.D. and the government to come in and stop Bastion, he would have murdered everyone in this issue. Like, the, 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 the hero's lost. It was the, it's these other characters, it's the government, it's the system that won. But we don't even see their fight. We don't even see why it was a fight and why it passed in the first place and nope. what odds they were up against it, and what they had to lose. They just or... threw it away. Yeah, so there was not even a sense of heroism from these people. They just apparently achieved something. But I don't know if they paid someone off, or they slept with the right person, or <laughs> they made Bambi eyes. I don't know what did it. Now, the end of the issue, again, very kind of heavy-handed way to try to drive home the point. You have Mero saying, you know, why don't you want me to kill him now, referring to Bastion. And Iceman just says, because, Mero, because in the end, that may be all that separates people like him from people like us. And it's like, wah, wah. Yeah. That's the moral of the story, guys. 
It would it would hit with harder, uh, more poignancy. Also, if you weren't wearing a speedo right now, Iceman. <laughs> Absolutely. He's and, got a speedo and a belt on the speedo to keep that speedo up, and, and some boots. booties. Yep. Because that's worst people... costume ever. <laughs> then we got Wolverine 118, which is I guess technically the epilogue, but. It's in the middle of the storyline, so it's kind of weird to call it an epilogue. Yeah, it's true. The actual X-Men, the X-Men team that exists as the X-Men, is here doing this thing. Yeah, it's weird that this is the epilogue. You know, and... In the Wolverine book, yeah. And really all they're doing is fighting against this one Prime Sentinel. And then they they escape, and everything's fine, but wait a minute. <laughs> Scott Summers is a bomb in his chest. Which, which is so stupid. But I remember it. I remember this. I remember this issue because of that. Yeah. No, true. It was memorable, but like the art was not good in this issue of Wolverine. It was very rushed. Um, the, there was no backgrounds for most of it. Um, the shots just were not, and they weren't up to snuff at all. And then, and then you don't even get to see the end. Like, if you want to know what happens here, go read X Men seventy. Well, thanks. And in the next issue, interesting enough, you have really good Francis Yu artwork. And you have El- Warren Ellis writing a great Not Dead Yet story. So it's just interesting how quickly you go from this weird kind of crossover to something so much better. Uh, then you have X-Force 70, where you have uh, Hitting the Road, X-Force leaving Cable behind and kind of going out on their own, which, if you've read the last five issues, feel like they've already Cable done that. Cable was never there in the first place. Yeah, Cable's busy fighting, uh, fighting off uh, you know, Operation Zero Tolerance at the mansion with Caliban. And trying to stop Ozymandias from touching Caliban's <laughs> face while he sleeps. <laughs> Maybe that's what was going on, right? I don't know. What's the storyline with the Vanisher and the, like, the cats? What is the, what's going on? I don't I don't know. Like this this yeah. is not this is really hard to read. I when I first got this hardcover, I did read everything in it, and I probably forgot like half of this because it just wasn't good. Yeah, that's true. Um, the stuff we spent more time talking about generally was better. Then we have X Men seventy. Now it's too bad that. We don't have everything kind of what was really going on in the books at this time because two weeks before this we had the trial of Gambit, which was the I the last time Joe Mad did the X Men mm-hmm. in Uncanny X Men three fifty, which was a big deal at the time. It's and a then sad day. it was a sad day. And then two weeks later you have this X Men seventy where only mutants, only mutants all C- Cecilia Ray is reading a wearing a costume she'll never wear ever, um, and Maggot suddenly being part of the team and looking cooler here than he ever does in the issue. Uh, and Mero still looking cool, and again a nice takeoff of the uh, Giants has X Men number one. It, it's it's actually not a bad issue for kind of wrapping up plot lines and moving things forward to the next phase. Although we get more of uh, Iceman Speedo, Iceman Speedo, but we this is the first time we really get a sense of what Operation Zero Tolerance has meant for the team. And the fact they take that, away everything in the mansion, like all the furniture is gone, all the all toys. Their spoons. Everything's gone. Like, there are notepads and the pencils they used to write memos on. Like, they cleaned out everything. Yeah, like, they have to do emergency surgery using, like, the bone claws or... Bone claws to rip open Cyclops, and then they yes. use Marrow's yeah. bones That's to, like... That's horrifying when Marrow does that. It is horrifying. So, here we see Gene's secondary mutation on you X-Men. This is where Bendis stole it from? That's a good question. We have... Gene shows up, like, all the... like. First of all, you have Cannonball and his ragtag squad show up. Then you have the Blackbird. Where's where was the Blackbird? Where did they get the Blackbird from? Because they weren't it, on the Blackbird. It got destroyed, didn't it, in the skirmish? Well, maybe that's not a Blackbird. Maybe that's some they other stole plane. It from so, you, so who's flying the this plane? Because the autopilot now is she? But isn't she yeah. psychically holding up yes. Scott? Yep. <laughs> 
How powerful is this woman? She's a freaking phoenix. I guess, but she wasn't at the time, really. Well, she still has elements like embers. She establishes this before Onslaught when she's tying down True. Uh, Juggernaut. I have embers of the Phoenix Force in me. I can do what I need to do. True. Now, considering the, the situation that they're in at this point, Cannonball looks like he's in a great mood. Or Look at his arms, though. Look at the perspective on that. That is so wrong. How long are his arms, and where are his shoulders? I don't know. And and uh, and honestly, how heavy is Wolverine? Like, he's got a, an adamantium skeleton. Yeah, yes, Wolverine is like... Oh, he's bone here. Bone. That's he's right. Bone. He's, he's bone. bone at this point. Sorry, I'm nice. wrong. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He still is cannonball. He still has, like, got incredible thrust. And uh, if anyone can handle the thrust, it's Wolverine. <laughs> Uh, so Gene, so what Paul was saying, like now that Bendis is kind of using this idea that Gene has these really high level psychic powers in ways we hadn't seen before. I guess we had seen it before in X Men Seventy. I totally forgot about this because she's yeah. levitating, using the psychic energy to kind of form basically the Phoenix Bird as she's carrying a Cyclops. Going all pink, she, yeah. It's probably the, the first and only time she ever done it prior to Bendis doing it. Yeah. But. No, and this I've is never, this I've is. I've never looked at this page before. Ever. Like no, like like I have the issue in my box, but like I leafed through it. Like there was one word on this, so I read the one word <laughs> and I glanced at it. But I've never, in great detail, looked at that. I real, you know, I guess I saw the pink energy and thought, okay, Gene's moving him, but I never really stopped to look at it. And what do you think now that you have? It's pretty cool looking. So this issue's by Joe Kelly, who with Steven Siegel would be the new shepherd of the X Men books after years of Scott Lobdell. Like, I guess Pachalo did leave, right? Because Pachalo comes aboard X Uncanny after Madera, Madera leaves. So yeah. he must have left Gen X at that point. I guess so, yeah. Um, so here we have... Now, I, I this is this is how you know that the X-Mansion gets hurt too often, and they don't give a damn, is that uh, Wolverine's saying, like, we got to get to the triage unit, so they just smash holes through the mansion? Yep. What a dick! Well, a life is more important. Well, Scott's could buy a bomb's chest, man. Yeah, well, I think that there's better ways to do it than that. But then they get in there, and nothing's in the, in the in the place. Uh, when um, uh, Storm sees Marrow, she's like freaked out by that. Which is, I like that they kept that rivalry going. Because I mean, Storm did kill her, so. Yeah. Um, then we have Juggernaut on his way with his lawyer. Like, there's a lot of weird shit going on in this one issue. But, again, the whole idea is, you know, Cyclops might die. He's got this bomb in his chest. You have, you know, these new people in the mansion dealing with uh, the arrival of the, the other five. Um, then you have, like, Storm goes off, what, to get, like, water or something? Yeah, she, she goes to find a bucket. Uh, she can control the storm, right? Can't she just, like, generate enough rain to create more than enough water to use for whatever they need? Doesn't she do that? I, I guess she is, but why is she on some weird... I don't even know where they, uh, they are, but I guess she had to find a pail. She's Sorry. out in the courtyard and getting done. She finds a pail, then she creates the, the water. Then she gets confronted by Marrow. Marrow's being a bitch, which is something that will happen for the next year. Um, Sam steals medical supplies from a pharmacy. Um, this is where the artwork starts to falter a little. There's some shots where it's not as as inked as they're trying to like put Scott to sleep so that you know Wolverine can basically open up his chest which is absolutely terrifying like don't they sanitize his claws at one point like in the bucket yeah. they they put his, his his they sterilize his claws in this bucket would have been better if they had just been their metal adamantium right eh? 
Instead of his actual bone is now going to go in Cyclops' body. That's disgusting. Yep, it's pretty bad. Well, considering it, it was originally housed in Wolverine's body. And now all you've done is... You better hope that Wolverine doesn't have, like, hepatitis or something. Yeah, oh, good. Well, you got my claws wet, so now it's fine. (laughs) And then Juggernaut shows up, not as Juggernaut, but is just Kane Marco. Just doing his thing with his lawyer on his, like, shoulder. How how demasculating do you think that is for his lawyer? (laughs) He's being carried around, like, as a pet. And then this weird shot... Is his lawyer? Yeah. And then... then I'm so... Don't even talk to me about that. That was She-Hulk of Earth A. That wasn't the real She-Hulk. Oh, okay. um, Marrow kind of having this weird kind of moment where she's kind of hitting on uh, Cannonball. Um, Jug- Juggernaut gets upset because Storm makes it rain on him. So he, like, storms in as Juggernaut. Like, that's kind of silly. You still there, Nate? Yeah. Yeah. But we're almost done. And then, here, look, it's the team from, uh, from space. They're back. Although... How constipated does Rogue look? Like yeah, she, okay. she's super constipated. That is a horrible panel, by the way. Like no one looks right. Beast no. looks pretty cool. Beast looks all right. Is this chick by Beast again? Uh, Trish Tilby, his yeah, girlfriend. Right. Yeah. Well, Juggernaut looks constipated in the panel before this, so whatever. Yeah, I guess he does. And then like Magneto's here. Oh, sorry, Joseph. So nineties. This is the nineties squad. They finally convinced Juggernaut to leave because what? He realizes that there's nothing there that he wants. There's no technology, so he just leaves. Yeah. And then uh, they finally get the bomb out of the chest. And don't they give it to uh, one of Maggot's little... Yeah, he eats it up. One of his guys eats it, which makes no sense. And then that's it. And then they staple up uh, Scott. And they're like, well, maybe we should leave the team now. Like, it's just, what is going on? But that the last two pages give you a sense that now the X-Men are different. So, Beast and Wolverine have been fighting throughout the issue. Uh, Storm and Iceman aren't necessarily that happy with each other um, because Iceman brought Marrow into the house. Um, Rogue and, and Joseph are dealing with their own issues after what happened to Gambit. Uh, Trish Tilby, who knows why she's sad. Uh, Maggot looks like... Blue. Ma- yeah, <laughs> yes, he is. Maggot looks like, again, he's passing a kidney stone. Uh, Cecilia raises in the rain because that's what you do. Um... And Cannonball is getting kisses blown to him by Mero, who just said, This way to a dark ride. That is one how. I was going to say, that's a come on to Iceman if I've ever heard one. And that was the beginning of something new. So that is Operation Zero Tolerance. Nate, you still, still alive? Yeah, I'm just listening. So final thoughts, because I guess we just went through what a, a, a ton of issues. How many issues did we just go through? Enough. Enough? A shit ton. Final thoughts, Nate. I'm still disturbed by this scene of um, Mara pulling out the bones that she says are not quite ready to pop. So she's just pulling on her skin and ripping out. Oh, gosh. Very unique power setting. Yeah, it's, it, it's. I still like her. I still like her because I remember her from this short era where she was compelling before she went into space and Xavier yelled at her till she cried and then made herself prettier. Yeah. And then she was kind of weird again in the recent Ran X-Force, wasn't she? Oh, yeah, she's messed up again. Like she, She's never really been as good as she was, in, I think, in either her first appearance where she got killed or in this appearance. 
She's one of those know, characters and, and, that someone made her, and then the people who followed up didn't like her, and they just threw her away. And yeah. she's in that limbo universe that a lot of characters go to, right? Absolutely. Well, she has no powers now, right? I think she was depowered as part of M-Day. Sure. Why not? <laughs> was she? I think she was. Hmm. It's hard to know, because like most of the mutants were gone, so I would assume that she would be one of the ones who was gone. So we just went through 26 issues... Uh, all you really need to read if you want to read this story there's like four issues you can read 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 the X-Men issues and Uncanny really I mean the fact that that's what we the cable of, stuff's fine the cable stuff's fine I liked it as well but I mean really if you just read the X-Men stuff and the one issue of Uncanny which is what I read as a kid you're yeah, fine yeah the Gen X and the X-Force is a lot of filler not necessary but um, if you like those X-Men, if you like those characters and you were following those books at the time then yeah. it's still important for those sure. characters but again not to the overall operations your tolerance as a storyline I would say they're not that important no the really good stuff is, is the Iceman stuff really yeah the Iceman and Marrow stuff are the best stuff. it's Iceman's high point yeah. because yeah, he, yeah. he was a leader he was leading a team and they were kind of yeah. listening to him like they didn't want to but then they did and he helped them get through and he was the badass like he was going to die against Bastion and he was okay with it because he was standing up for what he believed in and he's never been as cool or as competent since. He's become the wisecracking. He's Spider-Man. Like when you know how Spider-Man's usually written on Avengers, where he's ineffectual and he's nothing like he is in his own book. That's what Iceman is in the X-Men. He's just a joke. Unfortunate. It's unfortunate because I grew up in this era when he wasn't a joke. So. It's interesting too because uh, artists since then have written uh, that he is kind of a, a, a stagnant impetuous child and that he's kind of what have you done you know everyone else has done different things and they've led different teams and they push their powers and you you've done nothing with it i mean even when we i first started reading emma was saying that to him so i was always kind of introduced to him almost as someone who has never reached his full potential um except of course for aoa so um yeah this really was an iceman story it was an iceman hero story and the x-men really are at their best when they are underdogs and this was very much an underdog story where iceman who's not a leader who's not at least in this era is not considered an alpha level uh mutant has a new doctor slash mutant slash x-men to help him and then sabra who no one knows who that is like that's incredibly underdog right absolutely it's too bad that they didn't make them even more under, under greater duress than they did because they skipped an entire Sentinel fight. Yeah. Like, in fact, like, as I said, like, it, if this had been done now, this would have been a status quo shift. And maybe you would have had just a team of Iceman and these characters for, like, a year doing their own adventures, cut off from the other teams. They can't get in touch with them. There's no one at the mansion. The mansion doesn't even exist as a base. Just doing their own thing. Like, that actually would be an interesting story. Because it's Iceman. You don't expect that from him. Like you, like if it was Cyclops, you know, running a ragtag team, we've seen that a million times. That's not the same. But if it was someone who you don't expect it from, like Iceman, that no one expects it from, it could, it could be a lot more compelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, for for those reasons, I, I guess it would be good to read those four issues every once in a while and, and see the status quo change or the shift in the X Men team. You know, at the end of the story, nothing else. If I felt things were mishandled or that we didn't really touch too much on uh, the real uh, impacts this is having on society and what in, and what in the world possessed Congress to pass this in the first place. They didn't do enough of that. At the very least, I did feel interested in what was going on with the X-Men. I was really interested to see what would happen next. I thought it was very compelling, at least with Marrow, to see her as a new character. Uh, Ray's, I didn't... She had not 
become a nothing yet. So she could also have been interesting. Let's see what they do with her. Maggot didn't interest me, but you know the new artist. You know having Pacheco still being strong at X Men, and then uh, Bacello uh, or Bachelo, who I I didn't really know uh, coming on for Uncanny. That I was like, you know what, uh, I'm down. And so I, I still collected both issues or both uh, books after this, and was very excited. I would still go every Wednesday waiting. Um, for each month to get my issue so I was very excited at this point hmm. now at, at some point in the future I mean we've done I mean Paul and I did Onslaught we've done, done Operation Zero Tolerance I mean the Holy Grail that when we eventually have like and I think it would take a few episodes to do would be breaking down uh, Age of Apocalypse because that's that's the big one right for us I guess so I mean I think it would have to be I mean I think that would be a fun one to do I feel like if we ever get around to it we'd probably have to break it up into like you know, picking which books we're going to talk about in one month, like, and maybe break it up and do it as a series because there's so much material to go through in a storyline like that. Like, that's what, like, 44 comics or something. I mean, we did 26 today and it took us two and a half hours, and half of them we just streamed through, and then the others we actually expanded upon. With EOA, there's so much to talk about that I look forward to someday the three of us having a chance to really go through it because I think that'd be a lot of fun to do with you guys because I don't know anyone who loves AOA as much as. I do than you guys. I don't know. There are a lot of people. I think there are a lot of people who who do enjoy that. That's still for a lot of people. Oh, I'm not uh, saying people don't love it. I'm saying that I know people. I know you guys are like. I know a lot of people who like comics. You guys are the ones who like AOA most out of those people I know. So you're saying Richard? You're not going to have Richard on for that? (laughs) Um, No, absolutely not. Uh, That's too bad. Uh, It would be an episode. Leon has said, "Are you finally going to do Age of Apocalypse?" I'm like, I. I need to do a lot more research for that because I really like. I'm gonna pour over every ounce of to do, my I'm Age sure. of Apocalypse before we eventually do that because I don't want to miss a thing. <laughs> I just yes, I just quoted an Aerosmith song by accident. Yeah. That was terrible. Well, uh, I, I hope we can feel that we can't skip over certain issues of AOA because there, you know, as much as I love that storyline, there is a plenty that we don't need to spend a lot of time on. Gambit in the and externals. I, Gambit externals more so for me. Uh, Generation next, like I, I yeah. like the Sugar Man. I like the ideas they played around with, but a lot of it, like Paige pretending to be whatever that big nosed guy is in the shower, like I, it's just uh, it doesn't need to be seen. No, you're right, absolutely. Paul, but final thoughts. Rex, uh, you know, I like that. Any final thoughts on OZT <sighs> or OZT? I, I still, I guess, I still like this series. Um, Looking back, maybe not as as much as I thought I did. Like I think I remember it being much different than than, this. than it was. Yeah, I do. For some reason, um, you know, I probably get like a six and a half to seven. Really? You know, as a final ranking, if we're gonna rank it. Um, I think all things being considered, with the amount of fluff that we went through and the inconsistent art, I mean, yeah, that's probably fair. That's probably even higher than it deserves. Because there's so much, again, what Nate was saying, like, there's so many ideas in here that just aren't capitalized on. Like, there's a political story being told here that is completely ignored. Well, in, in, until, like, they say, we reversed the decision. But where was the struggle to get there? How did it even come about to begin with? Like, we have some characters kind of mentioning how maybe it could have. You kind of have to make up the story for yourself. And that's not a good story. But yeah, there's a lot of great concepts. They just. 90s execution which was we're just gonna you know some of this stuff is gonna look cool and then we're gonna we're gonna explain or we're gonna say a lot of things on the page we're not gonna show you as much as we should and I don't know it just ends up kind of faltering so I 
feels the same way. I thought it was so awesome at the time because, again, it hit me right in the sweet spot of who I was starting to really get into X-Men comics and I, my second major crossover. And I, I you, they had kind of led up to Operation Zero Tolerance because you had seen like Bastion before. Uh, there had been rumblings of it, so it felt like you were finally building up to something. You saw Graydon Creed die. Like Tensions were kind of building, and that's what made it more exciting at the time, whereas... Nowadays, you don't really get any tension. You just get event, event, event. And there's no, there's no real breath of fresh air. There's no real feeling like, let's build to the next one organically. That, that, that just doesn't exist anymore. I know, it's ridiculous. Now it's just, it's time for another event. Let's do it. So, I guess that's the last word. So, gentlemen, uh, I'm going to stop the recording now, but thank you for being part of this almost two and a half hour episode. Holy shit, really? Uh, Why do you say really? This happens all the time I know with what, us. I know. Every single time. I know. I'm being so surprised. Every time I think it's not going to go on that long, and then it does. And I, I know I'm part of the problem because I talk a lot. But uh, <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us for episode 218, and we will catch you next time. Uh, thank you for joining us. Say goodbye, guys. Goodbye. Bye. This is Adam Chapman. We've already signed off, but uh, before uh, we actually turn off the episode, uh, because this is going up on November the 14th. Now, myself, I am in Cuba at this time, so having a great vacation, but this episode is going live on November the 14th. Um, I wanted to take a moment to do a bit of a shout-out at the end of the episode for a happy birthday to Nathan Strzok, who joined us on this episode when we recorded it on November the 1st. Uh, it's his birthday on November the 14th, so today, so happy birthday, Nate. If you eventually get through the entire episode that we recorded together, you will get to this birthday message as well. So happy birthday, Nate, and thank you for being part of the Comic Shenanigans team throughout the last two years. Thanks for listening to this episode. Carry on. <laughs>